Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1060 with David Lombardo. But we want to make sure that the, the people who work for us work for us for the 20, 30, 40 years if they choose to, or we help them become better people in general. And so if we can help them grow to a point where they leave us and go follow their dreams, that's the ultimate sign of success, right? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. This episode made possible by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, use cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. Restaurant Technologies, Inc. is always on, so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. This podcast was made possible by Restaurant Systems Pro, and we need to let you know that every second and fourth Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, Fred Langley, will be going live where he'll cover what you need to know about running a profitable restaurant from soup to nuts. This live event will reveal the steps to manage the service and financial goals for your restaurant's productivity. To learn more, head to go.restaurantsystemspro.com. Pro.net slash restaurant unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Mies. With Mies, you can standardize your culinary IP and stay in sync, giving the culinary team the ability to both create recipes and distribute them from the same platform. You can train your team quickly and maintain dish consistency by turning your recipes into interactive training material, and you can get laser-accurate food costs because Mies allows you to calculate the yield of ingredients with prep loss included. Create a free account by visiting getmees.com slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com forward slash unstoppable. And as a listener of Restaurant Unstoppable, you can get 25 recipes uploaded to your Mies account for free. Sign up today and learn more at G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com forward slash unstoppable. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce you today's guest, co-owner, president, and CEO of Lombardo's Hospitality Group, David Lombardo. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, yeah, baby. I am unstoppable. Psyched to be here. Uh, I had the the, the privilege of interviewing your brother, Matt. He called you out, Matt Lombardo, with Pink Door Catering down in the the, the Cape, or what would you say? Yeah, Yeah, Cape Cape God, found Doing Nashville. great things. Uh, the, I would say Casey Anton turned me on to L- the Lombardo family. Uh, five, five generations. You're the fifth generation or fourth. I'm fourth generation, fourth generation. but we got some new babies yeah, on the way. Yeah, there's some new so blood. You, you know? G5 is on the way. Yeah, man. On the rise. Uh, and you guys go back. The, the family business goes back all the way to 1927. Is that right? It sure does. Yeah, Dude. we started with a small meat market in East Boston. My great-grandfather started it. It was probably the size of, um, you know, like a... 20 by 20 box and he serviced the community he was the he was the meat guy you go to him for your homemade sausages and charcuterie and meats and cheeses and just regular groceries and that's where he started came off from italy and uh opened a meat market in the city and uh, my grandfather kind of took that and grew it into uh supermarkets and then eventually into events yeah and and we just keep going so we're sitting at bardo's pizza right now we sure are. And, and this is one of your newest projects, right? As yep. of how many months? So we are two, almost two and a half years in. Okay, two and yeah. a half years. That's right. Just starting to walk, you yeah. know? Um, and I'm, I'm curious, um, in my research, just trying to get familiar, you know, refresh my memory with the Lombardo family and what you guys have done. Searching Lombardo's Pizza, I came across the Lombardo's Pizza in New York, and they market themselves as the first ever pizza in America. Okay. Are you familiar with this company? I am not. They are not related. I mean, they're probably related. I was going to ask if there's a relation. But but no, we don't have any family in New York that we're aware of. I was curious. Us Italians are all connected in some way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, All right. Well, let's, I'm I'm really wanting to pull back the, the layers on the family business, uh, what you've learned from the family, and really unpackage that, and then also talk about what you're up to today and where you're headed. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah, so I would say that if you take care of your guests like their family, they're going to take care of your success. Mm. And when I say guests, I'm not thinking of just the people who are walking in the door to pay. But your internal guests, which are your associates and your coworkers, and your external guests, which are the people who are coming in to, to pay. And yeah. so, you know, your, your clients are your external guests and your associates and your team, are your internal guests. And if you treat everybody like their family and you make sure you take care of them, they will turn around and take care of your success. Are you familiar with Stephen DeFilippo? Yeah. You, did you read his book? No. Oh, because that's the, the, exactly the words he used. Oh, really? Yeah. He talks about <laughs> his inner guest. Okay. And, and yeah, and 100%, if you take care of the people like family, and that's really, I think at the core of what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to help people understand that it's not about you. It's about everybody else. Yeah, 100%. You know? And uh, and it sounds like you guys are marching to that beat, so I can't wait to dive into it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're family first. Yeah. You know, we're a fourth generation now family business, and- Family comes before business. I just saw you important. hug one of your employees like they were a brother, and I'm yep. pretty sure you two aren't related. So. No, not at all. We are <laughs> yeah. we are huggers, though. You know, um, I love it. yeah, we you know we care about everybody, their well being, their families, uh, their goals and aspirations are what's really important to us. And if we can empower them to follow their dreams and go after it, they're going to take care of us while they work for us. I love it, man. So before we dive into your story, I think we need to pay homage to the family story. You already started getting into it back 1927, meat markets. Uh, you're delivering meat to the community here in Boston. Um, but you guys, I mean, what else should we know about the family? 
Yeah, so we started in 1927. Uh, Vincent Lombardo, uh, entrepreneur, started this meat market. Was he, was he first-generation American? He was first-generation American. Nice. Yes, I came over. Um, and uh, he, you know, he started with a meat market in East Boston. And my grandfather, Sal, his son, uh, really is the visionary for our family business, or was. He's been gone now for 15 years, but we still talk about him like he's here today. So start with the markets. You scale the markets to three locations by 1951, I saw. Yep. And that was Liberty Markets. Liberty Markets. And is that when, uh, was it Sal? His Sal, yeah. Second Sal. generation started playing around? Sal took over with his brother, Paul. So where um, was the, the business when Sal took over? So it was still in East Boston and then in Winthrop. So it was all right in the city. So we had three stores in the city. I believe we might have gotten up to six at a time. Oh, wow. Um, and we had supermarkets. So we, we went from a meat market to a supermarket, and we were the place you went uh, for all your groceries and everything. And that was our business. And over time, you know, he grew that, grew that business. My, Sal. Sal, yeah, my grandfather. Um, my father's generation from, you know, five years old, bagging chickens in the supermarket. My grandfather used to always say, if you're not at school or playing a sport, you're working in the supermarkets. And so my father became a... a uh, a, a uh, New England champ in pole vaulting because he went to the track coach. He's like, I don't want to bag chickens anymore. Like, do you have something you need? And the guy's like, yeah, we need a pole vaulter. And my father's like, all right, I'm in. Um, and so it's always been family. It's always been in there. Um, and so it grew from the supermarkets. And then in the 1960s, um, one of our associates in the supermarket you know, approached my grandfather and we had an abandoned bowling alley above one of the supermarkets. And he said, hey, can I have a family party up in that space? Uh, we'll do the cooking, we'll do the cleaning, but we just want to use the, the open area. My grandfather said, nah, no problem. And then a couple months later, another associate did the same thing and then another one. And my grandfather said, well, we cook, we do all the food, yeah, we've got we, a supermarket. Everything's here in house. We do it, yeah. let's do it for you. Yeah. And that's kind of where Lombardo's was born. And he went to the bank and back in the in the 60s, you could go, you're friends with your banker, and you yeah. go in there, and with a handshake, you could get a business loan, and you could, you know, he was able to buy the building next door and open up Lombardo's in 1963, which became the center for all um, events and family milestone parties, and it became an event venue right in the city. So when did things start to change where that became the focus and the grocery stores kind of took a backseat? Well, the grocery stores were around until 2000. Oh, wow. So if you think, they started in 1963 with the event venue. And so they had the event venue. They had a couple rooms there. They took care of the community. But the supermarkets continued to progress. Yeah, and so that was a, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, so they stayed in the supermarket business um, all the way up until 2000. Oh, I was thinking like the, the world of supermarkets started getting kind of crazy where you have your like hyper supermarkets you know like the the major like around here it's like shaw's yeah Hanover's, well Mark that's Gass, what happened like, we ended up selling uh the last liberty market to shaw's okay and they took over we sold it to uh you know to a bigger brand they came in bought the business and for us we had you know the the venue opened in 1963 in 1983 we found the current lombardo's which we still operate until tomorrow, and probably when this comes out, we won't operate anymore. We'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we had two venues from 1983 until 2000, and then in 2000, we closed the supermarkets, and we closed the original Lombardo's okay. in East Boston, and then operated the current Lombardo's and up Ram. until yep, up until 2024. Okay, awesome. So, I mean, reflecting back at this time, um, 
I'm sure there's just a lot of like family values. Uh, like, what what are those family values that you think kind of contributed to the family success up to this point? Um, family first. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that we learned from my grandfather. It's funny. His brother Paul and him were partners. So yeah, so he ended up buying out his brother. It caused a family divide, and from that moment for that moment on, my grandfather Sal's mantra was family before business. And so you were in a you're going to build relationships with your, with your siblings. You're going to take care of each other. You're going to make sure you love each other. You're your best friends. And family is first and business is second. And if business ever becomes a problem for the family, sell the business, get out of it, and stay with your family mm. because that's who can take you to the future and who can really take care of you. And the business isn't as important as taking care of your people. So ironically, I just came off of uh, this. In- or my last interview was with uh, Chris Yonker. Uh, and he specializes in um, secession and helping families pass the torch. All right. and this is something that we were talking about, like how, like what are the, like what are the things you do you can do to like prevent some of these like family issues? Like what what were the things that you think you? I mean, aside from having this core value of family first, are there things we can do in our business or in any business to kind of hold people accountable so there aren't people who end up not carrying their weight? Yeah, you got to have a clear set of roles and responsibilities. Mm, I was and so, so hoping you were going to say that. Your family members, they're your family. My, you know, I'm now a co-owner with my sister and my cousin, but we have very distinct roles in our current business structure that allow us to do our job, do it well. And when we are working on the business, we wear our business hats. Yeah. And when we are um, at home with our families and take care of each other, we're siblings and we're cousins. Yeah. And there's a clear divide. So when you're at work, and even that's how, as we developed and grew, and as us four generations came into our family business, we put in some structures of our family business meetings. I'm saying, we're going to meet, we're going to talk business, and then that meeting's going to end, and we're going to have a family meeting, and we're going to talk family. I'm going to update you on my life. We're going to talk about what trips are going on. We're going to talk about who's taking care of Nana this week, um, who's going over for Sunday dinner and birthday parties coming up. And we would have a meeting about our family. And, and then we'd also have the meeting in the beginning about the business. And so yeah. there was a clear divide. And, and that family meeting, sometimes we were going as a family to the movies. We're going out for dinner or we're going to go check out something new. And we made sure that we built in time where we spent with each other to build those relationships because those relationships were what's most important. Can you get into detail in terms of like really like the, the process of delegating or putting responsibilities to certain people and like, like how do you like cement that? So there's no question job descriptions. Okay. Like it's, it came down to being that easy and it was, we're going to define our roles inside the business. This is what you're responsible for. We're going to write out job descriptions. Everyone knows what they're responsible for. And that's how we're going to be able to hold each other accountable for the tasks that yeah. need to happen. And then the family piece is just, you know, be good to each other. The best part of all this is that what it takes to be a successful family business is no different than what it takes to be any business. Like, that's exactly what you would do. Like, this is like E-Myth 101. Like, write down a hierarchy. Write down the responsibility. Like, what is everything that has to happen in this business for every... Like, like what are all those line items of all the things that have to happen? Like, what do we do every day? What are the processes? What, what is everything this business looks like on paper? And then you literally start putting names next to the people who are responsible for those things. Is yeah. that kind of what it looks like? Yeah, it looks like that. And then when it came time for succession and transitioning to the next generation hire professionals, 
hire the gentleman who you just met with who deals with succession planning. Yeah. Get that professional in the mix. You want to make a pizza? I'm your guy. You want to make people happy? I'm your guy. You want to learn about succession? I'm not your guy. Right. You know? I don't know that. You want to do accounting? Talk to my sister. Yeah. She does that. Yeah. She stays in that lane. She knows that really well. You got to hire the professionals. You got to make sure you have the right people around you to make it successful. And it works with the succession planning and family business. And also, if you need help with job descriptions or other things, get the right people on board who know what they're doing. I love that. Uh, and don't take it personal, right? Like if it, if it's a uh the family decides that, you know, maybe one of the family members isn't the person for a job. Like what, have you ever crossed that bridge? Oh yeah. My aunt Nina, who we love so much. She was fired like five times in the family (laughs) business. Sorry, aunt Nina. Yeah. And she's the coolest person out there, but she, she doesn't work in the business. Um, she, she was still a co-owner of our family structure. Um, my father's generation G3, the four members and they each own 25%, but she didn't work actively in the business. She tried, she was in sales and she just gave away too much shit and she just loved to have fun. She ended up moving out to California and becoming a whitewater rafting instructor and a massage therapist nice. and chose a different path. Good for her. But she still is a key essential part of our family. What about people who say never go into business with family? Have you ever heard that expression? Have you ever heard anybody say that? Yeah. My mother said that to us all the time. <laughs> yeah. She, she never really wanted me to go into the family business. They say it's never a good idea. Why would you think somebody would say that? I think because they're destined, most family businesses are destined, destined to fail, just statistically. And I think it's because the business gets in between with the family and it can cause a riff and it can cause, um, you know, a, a void in that relationship, which then causes a big riff and, and you lose people who you care about. I, you know, my father always says, don't go into business with your friends either, you know, and I happen to be sitting in a brewery, a <laughs> um, that my best friend owns that our pizza place is in it. Um, and I think the reason why we're successful is because we take that same approach that my grandfather talked about, which was family first. And so our relationship as friends is really important. But when we need to put on the business hat, it's on. Yeah. And we have distinct roles in this place. Yeah. And we operate in between those boundaries. And then we take the roles out and we go skiing or we yeah. go mountain biking or we go hiking. And we spend time together as friends to make sure that we strengthen that relationship. I think I, mar- I don't march that beat of no, don't go into business with your friends and family. I honestly, I, in my mind, especially in the world of hospitality, where I feel like it's such hard work, right? And there's crazy hours and you need people you can depend on. Yeah. Like who, who can you trust more? Like who can you trust more than your friends and family? I don't think there is anyone you can trust more than your friends and family. But when that trust breaks down, it becomes more it than it yeah. ruins that yeah. relationship. Yeah. And I think that's why people say that is to just put caution in the wind of yeah. be careful because if someone makes a decision that you don't like or someone does something that was unethical or against your moral, moral code or something goes wrong, then that relationship could be ruined. Right. And so just be careful. Tread lightly on that area. I mean, I think it definitely like – if, if you're operating business like – say like you know 30 years ago before this information about you know the importance of systems processes procedures hierarchies in and putting names next to like and having job descriptions and all this stuff i don't i don't think your average business owner did that sort of thing pre-2020 
or sorry, 2000, right? I think this stuff started coming out later when people started being able to get access to good business advice. And, and, and if you didn't have those things in place, I could see why it would be a higher risk. Those things being the systems, the processes, the protocols, the, the lanes, the job titles, like when you don't have that, I can see it muddying the waters a lot more, right? Yeah. But with all these new ways of doing business becoming more common knowledge, I mean, I say, like, keep the, those who are closest to you close, you know? I mean, that's just me, and I'm not trying to steer you either. No, no. I mean, I think that it's funny. As I look at our business now, we're in the events business, we're in hospitality, we're in the food business, the relationships that we have with our vendors, like, we use the people we like. And so... It's similar to family, and we treat them like family, but we, we see the people who burned us or burned an event or made, you know, wasn't nice to a bride or wasn't nice to a, um, someone coming in, and we say, we don't really want to work with those people anymore. And the, the vendors that we work with are the people who are most like us. And I think it's similar to you know, building that community around you and saying, all right, who do I trust? Who can I lean on? And those people become your core that you really work right alongside. Yeah, I love that. Uh, before we kind of like start marching into like more present day, like just aside from like the, the values your family gave you, like what were the, the biggest business lessons that you pulled from just being a part of this organization? Oh, man. Um, Maybe like focusing on certain people that. Yeah, I mean, them. honestly, a lot of my biggest mentors came from outside the family okay. business. Who? And so. You know, when I got started in hospitality, um, I worked for Legal Seafood. I saw that. Yeah. One and year, I, right? Uh, I worked for five and a half years oh, at really? Legal Seafoods. Yeah. Okay. Right out of college. Well, actually, when I started, my first job in hospitality was really a bar mitzvah DJ. Oh. To take it way back. Okay. <laughs> so I got bar mitzvah when I was 13, and I loved music i love the microphone and i wanted to you know be the guy who was doing the coke and pepsi dances and and uh playing the music and getting people hyped up i wanted to be a hype man and so i started working for a bar mitzvah dj and that's kind of where i started in the hospitality world yeah did you have any desire to be a part of the family business back then was that on your radar um not particularly you know i i think that i didn't know exactly the path i wanted when i was really young but once I started working in high school, I worked as a host at Legal Seafoods in an oyster shucker. And I saw the value of making somebody happy. Yeah. I saw how I could impact somebody's experience by just being myself and being hospitable and being warm and giving them an experience. And so in high school, I realized I want to be around food. I love eating. I want to be around that hospitality industry. And so it really started in high school where I realized figured out that this is the path that I want to be on. Yeah. I really geek out over like the psychological or like, like um, evolutionary biology, uh, you know, just the, the study of like psychological evolutionary psychology and like all this stuff. And why are we the way we are? And I, one of the things I'm curious about is like, what, what is it about this industry that is so appealing for people? And I think you just hit it on the head. It's that ability to, for the instant gratification of seeing other people be happy. Is, is that what you, I, mean, I don't want to put words in. No, no. Mouth. Like, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the fact that I can give somebody a really positive experience um, 
it not only creates joy for them, but it creates inner joy for me. Right. And so if I can make someone happy, if I can make somebody's experience better, I found that that's my drug. It's that's hits of dopamine. It literally it's hits of dopamine. Yeah. It's like when you when you see, are seen and you're valued and you're appreciated, it releases chemicals and it makes you feel so good. And I think I hate to distill like the, the the whole industry down to like it's it's all about just wanting to be seen because it kind of feels egotistical. But when you look at like human needs, right above you have like the security uh, and then beyond that, it's um, so if we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy needs, the basis, your physiological needs. What do I need? Food, shelter. Then above that, it's, it's just, it's a matter of like belonging and, and being seen and being valued. And if, if you can get that every day, like, like multiple times a day, it's just like, what more do you need? Yeah. I mean, my love that. language is that positive affirmation. I love to know that I made somebody happy and they turn around and say, thank you for that experience. Thank you for going above and beyond. And that's my drug. That's what gets me excited. And that's the best gift that I ever get is knowing that I could have made somebody's day or somebody's life better by whatever it is that I impacted them on. I love that. So back to Legal Seafoods, um, great organization. They've been on my radar. I'd love to get them as a guest on the show. Um, I don't know if you have any pull over there. Yeah, so. I can see it was still around. <laughs> yeah. They sold recently. So, I saw that. Um, yeah. But some of the old timers I'm still in touch with. So, some of my the best people in my life are, are people who I met there. We ended up here because you said it was uh, outside of the families where you got a lot of the inspiration for mentorship. So who was, who was the mentor here? Yeah, so... I was able, when I graduated college, I knew I wanted to be in hospitality. So I reached out to school for, I went to school for family business and entrepreneurship. How appropriate. Yeah. I went to university of Vermont. Um, I want to go to Cornell out of high school. Want to go to hospitality school. Got rejected. Uh, applied after my first year of UVM. Got rejected again. Oh man. Um, and I realized that that wasn't going to happen, but also that I didn't need it. Um, I think school, and this might not be the great, greatest thing, but I think everyone on your podcast probably have said this. I listened to the hot dog guy this week. What's yeah. his name? Uh, Matt Barnaby. Matt. And he was like, school's overrated. Yeah. And I think that the lessons you learn at school as an 18 to 21-year-old kid, I wasn't prepared to really learn that much. But I learned the most by doing and by being in the industry. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of lean in that. I, I agree. Did I cut you short? No, no, no. You're I 100% agree with that. I mean, I think it's important. I think the biggest, if you have the resources and you're privileged and you, you can afford to go to that school and you have somebody paying the ticket, like, I mean, the amount of networking that comes out of going out of a, 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 a like a, a Cornell or a CIA, like they're going to open doors for you, especially for sure. if you're like a hustler and you're going yeah. to every class and you're getting A's and you're showing up to all the, the extra events and the, t- the teachers like you, like they're going to put you on board a great organization. And like, I think I see there, there's definitely value in that. But and if you're point, a doctor or you're, if you're a doctor, or you're account, right. accountant, like you got to go to school. Yeah, you got to learn all that shit. I don't want you uh, right. operating on me if you don't know what you're doing. Right. But when it comes to restaurants and hospitality, it's really more about feels and emotions yeah. and taking care of people and, you know, going to, uh, you know, I don't, what, whatever one-on-one class. I can't even think of one. That's how good <laughs> school was. Sorry, Dad. Um, it, just, it just didn't it didn't provide the same value as actually getting into a restaurant. So, um, yeah. so when I got out of college, I, I applied for a management role. I knew I wanted to be in management. I know I didn't want to be... Uh, a server or in the kitchen, but why not? Um, I just knew that 
leadership was something that I gravitated towards. Yeah. Be it being a sports captain in high school or whatever it was, I liked the ability of being able to make a bigger impact on, on the greater vision. You know, so, you know, we're a team. This is what we got to do. And I liked, I always gravitated towards like that leadership role. And I figured if I got out of college and I went right into serving and bartending straight off the bat, um, it would have worked. And I, I think I would have ended up probably pretty similar to where I am today. But I really wanted to accelerate my career as much as I could and get in. I, I wanted to own a restaurant. And I knew that if I learned from a management standpoint, I would do a lot. And in turn, I became a server and a bartender right. and work in the kitchen and dishwashing. And I always did all those things, but I wanted to come from it from a leadership standpoint. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said about working all the roles, bartender, server, host. So you understand the big picture and how it all fits together. And sometimes you might have to be the bartender tonight or the host, depending on who oh, just yeah. calls out. Right. So it's good. <laughs> More to have, often than yeah, you think. Right? It's good to have the skills, <laughs> but to your, I think it's smart. Like if you know, that's what you want to be. Like if you get, comfortable as a bartender and you get comfortable that to the you know with that bartender income and then you want you decide that you want to transition to management you're probably going to take a pay cut so i think you yeah. know getting into that mindset before you get used to that that lifestyle with the cash in your pocket every night it's probably smart yeah i mean i anyone who says a restaurant server or bartender is not a real full-time job they're idiots right. i mean they make a great living and they impact the community amazingly it just wasn't the path that i knew i wanted to take and, you know, working for my family when I was a kid in high school, I'd, I'd go to Lombardo's and I'd, you know, if I worked a summer at Lombardo's, I was a dishwasher. I cleaned the toilets. I started at the bottom and worked my way up. And when I got to legals, I said, okay, I, I know where I want to be. Um, I've done a lot of grunt work already and I know there's more to come, but I wanted to look at it from a management standpoint and, and they worked you. Yeah. Um, I think just to compound on what you're saying, you said like this is a real job. I just want to take it a step further and saying a lot of people who can do desk work or other careers, even doctors, I think it takes a special person. Like not everybody can do this. No, I'll be honest. Like right now, like I would not be a good bartender or a server. I am not good at keeping things in my head. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that skill of just being able to like, even if you're like entering in, like just you have to be tuned into like four or five, six different tables sometimes. Oh, can I get this? Absolutely. I'm right on it. Five seconds later, somebody else asks you for something. And then like, you can't get to the POS without sure. four more things coming up. You start to forget things like I, like I, that is such a skill set to be yeah. able to just manage. It sure is. You know, yeah. and I don't think they get enough credit. Uh, and I think it's, it, it's becoming more and more of, of a real positive. Right. You know, I think someone like Danny Meyer, um, who I'm sure you're very familiar with. Of course. You know, he really made, you know, he really made sure that servers and the way you took care and those, those stewards inside of his restaurants were, were real careers. You could really grow. And right. he made them, you know, a real career path in that. And I think that's what, you know, we want to do at, at Lombardo's and, and here at Bardo's is we want to empower our team to, this may not be where you want to be forever. You may not want to be a pizza maker. But if you're here, be passionate about the work you do. If you're here, love the job you do. Um, seek out the knowledge to be better. And then wherever you want to go, let's grow there. Let's yeah. have the conversations. What do you want to become? Do you want to get out of this business? Where do you want to go? Use this as your fuel to be able to learn those skills and get to that next level. Right. So you, you left um, Legal Seafoods in 2011? Did I 2011, yeah. 2011. Yeah. Um, what was the reason for leaving? 
Um, I, I got stagnant. Yeah. I was there. I, I, um, I really led with hospitality. Where were you after five years? I was a assistant general manager. Okay. And there was at least what I was being told and communicating with my leadership. Uh, there was no new restaurants for me to go take over as the GM. And it was going to be a couple of years until either somebody left or they opened up a new property um, that I was going to be able to take that next step uh, to a general manager position. And I felt like I was ready. And looking back, I was not ready. Mm. Uh, but I felt like I was. And at that current time, our family business of Lombardo's and we did events. You know, I was working at Legals. I was opening up new stores for them. Um, I was part of their leadership team. It was going really well. It was really fun. And I fell in love with the private event aspect. So when we opened up Legal Harborside here on the seaport, I opened up all three levels. I kind of operated in, and ran the roof deck bar, which is a really cool spot. And on the second level was more fine dining, and they had a private room. And so I started doing private events in that space. And I realized I love that intimate relationship you can have with clients, a small group, making memorable moments happen. You could really impact people uh, in that private setting. And as I got a little complacent at legals and said, oh, a little, little discouraged even on not jumping to a GM role soon, I said, my family does private events. That's what we've been doing for 40 years. Um, and that's what I've become passionate about. And so- What an opportunity. Yeah. Right? And at that same time I'm thinking about it, I go home uh, for a holiday and my father says, hey, the current GM of Lombardo's is looking to retire and we're starting to interview new people. I said, well, Dad, what if I threw my hat in the ring? And he says, go for it. Well, how I think old are you? Awesome. Like 24, 25 years old? Yeah. Yeah, I was 25 years old. Yeah. And he said, he said go for it. You're going to have to go through the interview process yeah. and get the job. And it wasn't an easy interview, but I, it was my family. So, that, you know, they, they were easy, easier on me, but it's still I had to meet all the requirements. And I think legal set me up for that. Being in that corporate structure, it was really... Uh, you learned the systems. You right. learned how everything was supposed to go. You learned how to read a P&L. You learned how to do inventories. You learned uh, the systems and the processes and the standard operating procedures to be yeah. successful. Legal Seafood is and a well-run organization. Yeah. yeah, and they worked your ass off. I yeah. mean, we were, I was working 80 hours, 80 hours a week. I still work 80 hours a week now, but <laughs> I'm working for myself, so it's, it's really wonderful. Um, but they, they worked you really hard. They trained you really hard and they put you through the rigor of all their systems. So you actually really learned it and experienced it through trainings, through classes and, and got you to the point where you're ready to grow. And there is an underlying lesson here that I just want to bring to the surface in, in case our listeners didn't pick up on it. And is that if you don't create opportunity for people, if people get stuck in a position, they're going to go find that opportunity someplace else. And this, this was one of the biggest things. Like when I first started this podcast, my whole thing was like, I want to, I want to share the knowledge from big operators, like the, the most successful restaurant brands, uh, and figure out like what all these big organizations are doing that we can teach the independent operator how to do so where they can operate at that same level. Uh, and it was kind of my personal goal to like take the power away from big corporations and kind of shift that, that cash flow by empowering independents to operate at the same level. Yeah. Right. And the more I started to dive into that, the more I started to realize that even if you're small, you'll never be able to compete with the bigger operations because people want to grow. Like people, people aren't happy staying in the same. Some people are, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But if you really want to grow, you, if, if you, if you want to scale something, it's not about your physical building scaling. It's really about creating the opportunity for the people. 
Yeah. And, like, and that's when you know it's time to scale because if you don't open another location, you're going to have a whole suite of people that could be great general managers who are stuck at the AGM role that are going to go someplace else. And, and like you've got to create that opportunity for growth. What's going through your mind as I say this? I started thinking about how I really wasn't ready to make that jump. And I thought that I was. So when you wanted thought, the, the GM so role, you when I ready? wanted the GM role at Legals, looking back, I really wanted it. I was slighted because I wasn't going to get it. And they chose another AGM when one property came available. I didn't get that choice. And I thought that I had deserved it. I thought that I had earned it. Um, and I had been doing things really well. Um, and then I left and I joined my family business as a general manager. And I realized that, oh, wow, like I'm treading water here. I don't know if I was ready, but I had an awesome family and an awesome team around me that could help me get to where I wanted to go. So as you were saying that, I was thinking, well, you know, I really thought that I, I was ready to make that jump, but I wasn't. But I wanted it. And so I went somewhere else. I got it. And I learned by just doing it and being in, in the trenches and trying to figure it out as I went along. Any other lessons from legal seafood before you start to move on about your, with your time with uh, Lombardo's? Oh, yeah. One of my – I have a couple of really good mantras that legal's taught me. And so a couple of my mentors, Rich Vellante was their executive chef. He's a dear friend. Um, he took me under his wing and really made sure I was guided. Um, Alan Dempsey also was one of their operators. He kind of was the director of operations and um, was a visionary for all their brands. I mean, they had – 30 stores, I think, at the time I was working there. That was Alan, the chef, Alan and De- who was the other uh, Rich Vellante was the chef. Alan Dempsey was front of the house, kind of the direct, I don't know what his exact title was, executive director of, of front of the house. And then one of my GMs at the time, Victor Hannon, uh, who's one of my best friends still to this day, uh, just taught me how to really be in command of our people and to okay. make sure you hold people accountable. What did that look like? On which end? So you said Victor taught you how to be in, 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 or in demand of your people? Yeah, like he, he just was, he was a no bullshit manager, you know? If you worked hard and you did your job, you were praised and you got, you know, you, you could grow and do what you wanted and, and really develop and he would coach you. But if you didn't do what you were supposed to do, he held your feet to the fire. So he was really big on accountability. So I could go back. I remember a time where I was, I was an assistant manager for him, and I was in charge of the takeout department. And I remember I was, I was off. It was Friday night. I finally got a Friday night off. Thank God. I can't wait. I've been working all week. And I got a date with a girl. Nice. I'm stoked. I'm like, <laughs> all right, we're going out. We're going to have an awesome night. And Victor calls me. And he's like, your, your takeout guy didn't show up. And I was like, okay, well, I'm off. He's like, yeah, but it's your department. And you should have known this. It should have been communicated. And if they called out to you and did it the right way, you could have had a backup and you didn't have that figured out. So that shift starts and it's already started. I'm covering with one of our servers, but it's not their job. It's your job. So get in here. And so I had to call up the girl and was like, sorry, no date. And I had to go in and I was furious. I was so mad. I was like, you got staff. You could easily fill it. But he's like, no, it's your job to make sure you've got the systems in place that if something falls through the cracks, there's someone there to catch it. Backup or done. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to learn a lesson tonight. And so I stood in the front and I'm, you know, (laughs) how many people did you make smile that night? (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. It's like you come in and you are in that situation, but you're in hospitality. You got to take care of the people. So you get in there and you're frustrated. I'm angry. And, and, but I had to work. 
So you get in there and, and, and you start working. You realize, well, I'm here. I might as well make the best of it. Yeah. I'm going to give it my best. But I learned a lot from him on his leadership style. And, uh, and he's, he's still in the restaurant industry today. And he's still someone I call all the time to say, what do I do in this situation? How do, I, how do I maximize this area? How do I gain some, some profitability here? And he's always a great resource. What did Rich teach you? Consistency builds credibility. I think that was a mantra I say all the time. Consistency builds credibility. Be consistent and you'll be credible in everything you do. How did he teach you how to be consistent? Um, his level of hospitality, of taking care of people, being the executive chef of a 32 restaurant, restaurant group, um, if you were a dishwasher, if you were a manager, if you were a GM, he treated everybody the same. He made sure that you had his ear if you ever needed anything. If I ever had a question, I could call him or send him an email and he would schedule a time and I would go down to the corporate office and I could sit in his office and he would talk to me like I was the CEO of the company. Mm. And he created that ability of saying, if you're consistent with everybody you work with, you treat everybody fairly, treat everybody um, like you want to be treated and you're consistent about it. And also with your processes, you're going to cut the fish the same way all the time because the restaurant in Chestnut Hill and the restaurant in Braintree, the menu item is the same. So that item, if their guests are going to go to both properties, it's got to be the same. So creating that consistency allows the brand to be credible. And I took that to heart with also the people. Like if you're, if I'm a consistent manager, then I'm a credible manager. And that was a really big lesson that Rich taught me on that. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, talk about interviewing people and hiring people. And when you're a manager, you're responsible for doing those things. So I'd always ask him, what do you look for in somebody when you're trying to hire them? And so he would always say, knowledge, passion, and love for what you do. I was like, okay. So what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, I want somebody who seeks knowledge. I don't need somebody who's smart and knows everything. But I want someone who wants to seek knowledge, who wants to learn. Whatever it may be, they're willing to go out of their way to find the answer and to figure out the solution and find out how to do their job better. So you want someone who seeks knowledge. So, okay. I was like, and passion. He's like, I don't need you passionate about the restaurant business, but I need you passionate about something, something that drives you, something that, that you can be passionate about, that you love, that I know that this may not, it may not be serving chowder today. That might not be your passion right. in life. Right. But if you have passion, that means that you are willing to go after whatever that is. And you want to find people who are passionate, whatever it may be, you want to be passionate and and then love what you do. And that really comes down to is whatever your task is that day, whatever you're doing with your time, you got to love it and you got to give it one hundred and ten percent. And it may not be the future you want, but it's a means to the next step. So if you can find someone who's knowledgeable, who loves not knowledge, passion, and love for what you do, that's the person you want to hire. Yeah. I'm thinking about traction right now. Gino Wickman's book, Traction. He talks about they got to want it. They got to get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it, I think is what he says. And a lot of what you're sharing, I feel like, is echoed in that statement. When he says get it, meaning like you have to understand the job. Like you have to understand what, what's in, what the job entails. Yeah. Want it, you have to have, like you said, the, the, the passion, the desire to take that job. And then you actually have to have the ability 
like some people get it and they want it, but they get there and they're just not good. It doesn't complement their strengths. Yeah. Right. And uh, th- those are the words. That, I mean, but this is awesome stuff, man. We can't leave Alan out of the loop, though. So you told us Victor taught you about accountability. Uh, Rich taught you about consistency and credibility and how to find good employees. Uh, what did Alan teach you? Pressure's on. Yeah. I mean, Alan was just the guy who who just cared about people. Mm. He was a people guy. You know, and he and he was stern on the way that he ran front of the house operations and so on. But he he was the guy who I could turn to to say, this is what's going on inside of our restaurant and this is what's going on inside of my life. And he would give me that type of energy on both ends. And so I could talk to him about the struggles I'm having at home or my mom passing away, whatever it was like he was somebody who I could reach out to and would always be there to listen and take care. And I think that's important in leadership is it's got to be deeper than the task at hand. You know, yeah. and if we're going to build a successful team at Lombardo's Hostality Group and we're going to make sure we want to be successful, we got to make sure we're investing our time and energy into our people and really giving them the open door policy of come sit and talk to me about your life, your aspirations, what you want. I love this man. Can you believe we've been going for about forty minutes? No, Are it you goes serious? by. I used to people like would be like, "You need to keep your podcast sixty minutes or less." I'm like, "How? Yeah. How can I be present and get to know somebody and share their story in sixty minutes or less, dude?" But I'm happy that this is a now a two hour long podcast because yeah. I feel like we're this is some gold, dude. So I learned a lot from that place. Um, I also they were relentless in taking your time. You know, weekends all. All worked every night, every weekend. Requesting days off was tough. There's a lot of things on the corporate structure I didn't love. Yeah. You know, I didn't love that I wasn't there for the relationships in my life. Yeah. And I think this is where, like, collectively the industry is taking a shift. And this is what I mean by inspire, or, by inspire, empower, and transform the industry by sharing the collective industry values. Because I think that the industry was guilty for a while, for the majority of its existence of we just outwork everybody. And it's all it's like this badge of honor of who's willing to sacrifice more for the, the good of the business. And I think you can only you can only sacrifice so much before you hit the ceiling of like, how are we going to find anybody to be a part of this industry if it sucks? Where there, there's no bounce, you know, in yeah. the sense. And I think we're getting much better about finding that bounce as an industry. Uh, but yeah, 100% right there I'll, with you. I'll give Alan credit for one more thing. And that is he taught me how to deliver the same message in different ways. How do you mean? So as you take care of people and you work, everybody is different, right? You have a certain personality in a way that you can connect versus me versus Kate versus somebody else. Like, um, and so the way that I talk to you and the way that I talk to somebody else has to, you know, I have to meet you where you are. Right. This is so, emotional intelligence. Yeah. yeah. And so if I can, if I know that I need X, Y, Z to be done, I know that the way I tell you, Eric, to do it, I can tell you one way, but I got to deliver that message differently when the way I approach somebody with somebody who has a different personality than you do. And so being able to take the message yeah. of this is what needs to happen, but deliver it to the people who yeah. need the stern this is it, like black and white versus a more compassionate way of saying it. So being able to learn how to deliver the same message to multiple different people based on where they are at 
was a really important lesson. One quick plug, and then we're going to take a break to thank our sponsors, but I think this is why predictive index is so important. Uh, this, these personality tests yeah. where you can you take these tests, you become more self-aware, but you have your team take these tests, and now you understand how they work. Oh, yeah. And it, like right out of the gate, so you can get like a blueprint of this is the kind of person that you're dealing with, this is how they communicate, this is what's important to them. And when you know that information, it's kind of like a, it's, it's like a fast track to be able to communicate to them the way that's best for them. And you would have had to just spend time with that person to figure them out otherwise, you know, yeah, which we is did, part we, of it. We but. did that at Lombardo's. Yeah, so at Lombardo's, we went through that system with our management team yeah. and our sales team. Predictive index specifically? Um, I don't think it was. I mean, we just we, so we brought a, in a consultant. A yeah, yeah. Us, uh, we brought in a consultant to help us to better, better get our team performing. And one of the things we did was a personality trait yeah. uh, class. And I don't know exactly which one. Yeah, yeah. Thinking but, back I mean, on it, it's probably yeah. eight years ago now. Well, predictive index is based just out of Boston. So I wouldn't be surprised if it yeah. was them. Um, but great organization. If you're interested in that, uh, Ed Doherty is my guy, my go-to guy. Um, I'm happy to make an introduction to anybody listening to this who wants to start that process. He'll do a free analysis just on you. So like, even if you just get that, that, that analysis done just for you and it's free, it's going to help you and you'll see the power of it thereafter. But um, yeah, we'll be sure to give him a quick plug because I love the work that they're doing. Yeah. And uh, you know, as we continue our conversation where our business is now, we just recently, the fourth generation just bought, um, you know, we, we've opened up Lombardo's Hospitality yeah. Group and bought an existing catering company with their own team. So that personality trait and pr- predictive index could be super helpful for us. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I'm getting that going intro. again. Yeah, let's for sure make that intro. Um, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about the transition from AGM at Legal Seafoods to becoming the GM of Lombardo's. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. Look! With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and email sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, used cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to those messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal 
storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. RTI services are not limited to oil. They also provide insurance premiums and automated hood cleaning solutions plus hood filtration systems, making your hood cleaning process easy, automatic, and worry-free. In addition to all this, Restaurant Technologies, Inc. can help you reduce your carbon footprint, which we all know is becoming increasingly more important to the consumer. Restaurant Technologies, Inc. is always on, so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. We're back, and when we left off, the last thing we talked about in terms of your timeline, you applied to become the GM of Lombardo's, your family business. Yep. Um, and you realized that you weren't as ready as he thought you were going to fake be. it till you make it. Yeah. So, so <laughs> hindsight being 2020, knowing where you are now and who you were then, like what was the younger version of yourself missing when you came on board the family business? Oh, there was just some gaps in just knowledge in general. Um, be it, be it the way you analyze a P and L and look at numbers, I think was probably the biggest gap. Um, and then the, the people police piece and the hospitality piece, I, I excelled at. I made an immediate impact with our family and really thought that that was an opportunity where I could make the biggest impact right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the numbers and analyzing where we're at and how we could be more profitable was the area that um, I'm still constantly trying to refine and, and get better at. Yeah. Um, I was, that was going to be my follow-up question is when you um, were with Legal Seafood, um, you said that they, you kind of got a crash course on inventory, P&Ls, numbers, and they were really strong there. Did you take any of that to Lombardo's or was this like an area still of weakness for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I took, I took a, a good amount of it with regards to just the general knowledge, but really relied on our family and the GM who was leaving Lombardo's to really trained me on how our family did things. Um, and it was different. We're old school. We, you know, I, what, what I was able to bring from legals, which was super helpful, was uh, some more systems on the training side and the hospitality side. Nice. Um, so what was, like, if, looking back, 2011 to 2024, where we are today, yeah. as a professional, um, I mean, I think there's like there's two paths here. There's the evolution of Lombardo's, and then the evolution of David Lombardo. Where do you like? Let's focus on both paths. But starting with the evolution of David, actually, okay. no, let's, let's focus on the business first. Like, since then, how has Lombardo's evolved, and like, what was your influence on that evolution? Yeah, so Lombardo's was around. So the Lombardo's that I worked for was located in Randolph, Mass. It was a 52,000-square-foot event venue, catering hall. Um, we could hold parties up to 1,000. And we also have Vincent's Nightclub, which is a 1,000-person nightclub on the premise, open two nights a week. Um, and so I was in charge of both of those areas. Uh, and, and that business continued to grow and continued to and do what it was doing, but it had been around since 1983, both the nightclub, both Lombardo's. So there was a ton of systems in place. There's a ton of people who were around for a long time. And there's a lot of play, a lot of things that were, we were set in our ways. This is the way we always do it. This is the way we always do it. Um, and so it was really interesting to come in and have different ideas on what that, 
look like and how I could change it and how I could impact it or how I could build on things that were really good. Um, but our business continued to grow and evolve and our sales continued to increase, which was great. I think we got younger. We put in some new systems. We changed some of our processes. Um, and what I felt biggest, that we were making an impact. What were the biggest systems and processes that needed evolution, in your opinion, and it got that evolution? Oh, I think that from, from a sales end, the software we used, transitioning from one software to a new software. What were you using before? We were using Cateries. Okay. So it's funny. We're, we, That's a, a popular one that I would have expected that you would have been yeah. happy with. So we were using Cateries, and, and now we're back to using Cateries, okay. but we'll get there. <laughs> um, we were using Cateries, and its interface is very rigid, and it's not very hospitable. I think when you think about a software um, being hospitable, it's probably kind of a weird thing to hear. Right. But, you know, it, it hurts your eyes to look at. It was like looking at Microsoft Excel. Okay. Right? Like it's super functional, but it wasn't warm and fuzzy. It didn't make you feel good when you looked at it. And when we say like rigidity, are you talking like you weren't able to customize features to fit your business, your, your unique yeah, both from customizing features but and reporting. I think the reporting was something I didn't love, but also just the way it looked from the client's perspective. So when we put out a proposal, how did it look to the client? And it looked very, um, it looked very corporate and rigid. Yeah, and it wasn't soft on the eyes when we couldn't get the reporting and the proposals to look like they should without us building them in a Microsoft, in a Microsoft Word data, and transferring yeah. it yeah. and changing things around. And, and so we went and looked around for a better software that was more user-friendly, more interactive. Uh, the client could interface with it as well. And then, you know, when you presented someone a proposal, it felt like something that they could then look at and say, oh, I like this. It looks good. Yeah. What's the master document called? Like, the, the, like when there's a catering event, like you have a document. BEO. Yeah. yeah. What's that stand for again? Banquet event order. Yeah. And like and what I know what Cateries provides is basically it's kinda like a, a Google Doc where like there's one document and it's our Bible. Yeah. It's got like, everything we need. If anything changes, like we're all referencing the same docket document and like the, the client can make a do- a change and whatever there's you're not working off multiple dockets. Documents. Yeah, that BEO is is what's the most important thing yeah. for us currently in catering and in events. That's the thing. That's got every detail that we need in it. Um, and we want that. It's something that also we build our proposals in, and the client is seeing a copy of that BEO. And so even though for us it's got all the information, it's detailed, we want it to also f- look and feel good for the client on the receiving end of it. And so we found a, organization, a, a software called Triple Seat, and it had everything we wanted, and it had the, also the ability to be pretty. Okay. And to be attractive on the eyes. When did you make that switch to triple seat? Oh, man. It was probably eight years ago. I want to say they were a sponsor at one point. I should probably know the answer to that. I want to say it was like six or seven years ago, but they're definitely on my radar. Yeah. Um, So so we were at Cateries. We made the switch to triple seat. And... um, you know, can you tell me when that was? How long ago that was? I think I think about eight years. Eight years ago, yeah. So like 2016. That sounds about right. Yeah, that's when they were on the come up. That's probably about it. And our team liked it. It was easy to adopt. It was better looking for cloud-based. clients. It was cloud based. It was just it just was a much better interface to work with. Yeah. 
and it gave our sales team confident to go sell that they could put something in front of them that was a reflective of what we're putting on the plate, you know? Yeah. So we care about presentation. We care about, you know, the way that things look. We look, love the way that the room looks and the certain linens and the lighting and the food presentation on plated meals and on buffets. Like we want all that stuff to look a certain way and be uniform and be sexy and be attractive and be approachable. And then we'd hand them this, uh, this proposal and it didn't match that. And so we found a software that matched the way that we wanted it to look. Where and, did, sorry, go. No, no. And I was just going to say, we've recently, my sister, my cousin, and myself, who are co-owners of Lombardo's Hospitality Group, just bought a catering company and they use Caterese. So we're going back in time. Okay. And so they have a team who's been there a long time and they do amazing work, but they use a software that we gravitated yeah. away from. Yeah. And so our team is just kind of cringe like, oh, we're going back in time well, on I this gonna, software. I was curious, and, why did you switch back? But it's because you, you bought the, the software with the new business. Yeah, so we so inherited the team. So you were happy with Triple C. You, there wasn't anything... I mean, giving Triple C some constructive criticism, was there anything that you think Caterese did better? And just like a... Did better? I mean, uh, just from a, uh, you know, a very objective like hey if you're in the world of catering or if that's a big part of your your business or you want to make it a big part of your business and you need software like pros of cons like what i would say that caterees was probably a better software for my chef in the sense that with the way that we could put in our pricing in costings like there was a little bit more functionality on the culinary side um, but we can do that in other ways too and there are extensions on triple seat that give that ability um, so I, I'm not knocking caterers they, they're a huge business they yeah. do a lot of stuff and I'm currently a client of them again <laughs> um, but we will be transitioning our team you know when we bought this catering company we bought their assets we bought their book of business and we inherited their their team people yeah. will work for them for 18 20 years and they've been using caterers and so it's going to be a slow transition to yeah. transition them to triple seat but i think they're going to see that value when we start to make that training happen. yeah when you take over a company you don't want to make too many waves too big because that's no. a good way to just piss people off and yeah like, oh, yeah we're not get the cultural shifts first and then worry about the systems and processes yeah um but um what else in terms of like the evolution um of Lombardo's and just like how you like a new generation came in and, and that, that was one of the things I was really interested in coming into today to into today's conversation is one going deep into the world of catering which I don't get to do often but two this the, the business goes back the family business goes back to 1927 yeah like how do you evolve family culture in, in systems you know over time like how do you stay fresh yeah I mean I think you know, I was the last of my my generate my fourth generation who worked for our family to join the business. So my my cousin Francesca came over first, um, and she was in finance, and she came over just as a part time job to kind of transition her career and fell in love with it and stayed. Uh, my sister as well. She was a GM for a restaurant out in Aspen, Colorado. She moved home and decided I'm going to go work for the family for a little bit. Your brother s- spent some time in Aspen too, didn't he? He was Jackson Hole. Oh, Jackson Yeah. Hole. But yeah. Big ski, ski family. Huh? Ski family. <laughs> they both went out west yeah. uh, after school, kind of took care of their passions, did that. My sister came back, started working at the family business for a little bit, again, as a transition to figure out what she wanted to do and stayed. 
Um, and then I made the transition knowing that is what I wanted to do. And when the three of us got together, we saw things in our family business that have been working for a really long time that needed updating and upgrading. Yeah, getting I mean, outside of the family business. I was curious if that's why your family had you go work for Legal Seafoods and maybe like force the kids out to like get fresh perspective and then come back. Yeah, it wasn't a thing. It was, we was, it was never forced. It was never anything. There was no structure around that. And we put in that structure once we became part of the family business and we started working with a family business consultant and figuring out succession. We put in parameters for entering the business if you're a family member and making sure that you get outside experience and that you have certain criteria based on your work experience to where you can land in the business in the future. Um, but it was never something like our families were like, you're always going to come work for us. Yeah. Like none of our fathers uh, even want, like did, not that they didn't want us to be there, but it wasn't, but it, a part, of the it wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. It was just, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And now that our kids are in it, um, it got them really excited and they, and they allowed us to make some changes. So the kids go off, they come back, um, they see, oh, there's some things here that could be done a little bit better. What were those things? I mean, my father didn't start using an accounting computer that wasn't a green screen and had to be plugged in all the time to probably 2018. Wow. So, uh, and, and we love him to death, but he, he has a ledger. If I say, Dad, what was our electrical bill in 1983 in the month of November? He will go to a binder in his filing cabinet and open it up, and he has a record handwritten of every single bill every single month, every single year, forever. And he operated that way until my sister came in the business was like, Dad, what are you doing? Like, they have <laughs> also, soft- like, like, kudos to him. Yeah. Like, oh, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, what you've got to update your systems. Yeah. You've got to get into the future. I mean, we, he there literally more had efficient a, ways to do a this. green screen DOS computer with <laughs> floppy disks in 2018. Like, that's insane. <laughs> that is crazy. But it worked for him. It worked for the business, but it didn't work for us. Mm. And us coming in, we're like, we need something that's more fresh. We need something that we can work with, that we understand as a generation. And so, yeah, like now, now my dad has a cell phone and like has a computer and knows, knows stuff like that. Go, and he's dad. great at it. He's got, he got all figured out. <laughs> well done. Yeah. So you guys, uh, you came in, you, you, you freshen up the catering software from cater ease to triple C because of the, uh, the impression it left with the, the guests. Uh, and then you updated your accounting and your computer tech stack. Um, what, what was, so you went from DOS to yeah. QuickBooks. Uh, not, we just moved to QuickBooks. Oh, really? We had a different, so- a different accounting software. Um, I don't even know what it's called. Oh, okay. We don't have yeah. to get into that. So, like, again... But uh, now we're on QuickBooks, which is great. Nice. Which is, which is, like, an even bigger upgrade. Nice. So, I mean, again, just thinking about, like, evolution, um, the, the family evolution and the business, the business evolution, like, how have you evolved? Like, take us to, like, where you were just before, like, the most recent series of events where we'll get to that. I don't want to get too much ahead to like where you are today. Yeah. Um, honestly, when, when the three of us came into the business, it really set it really set our business on fire. We saw great growth in sales. Uh, we saw an increase in our hospitality. Um, we started to evolve of being the place that your parents had their prom to where now your kids, you know, their kids are getting married. And, you know, we've always been a generational place we've been around for 40 years at that location um 
but we really started to get a little bit younger. We started to get a little bit more edgy. Um, we evolved our brand. Uh, we redid our logo. Like we started to really make an impact on the way that we look to the outside world, um, which attracted more people and more yeah. business to come in. I can't remember who said it. I want to say it might have been uh, a Philadelphia concept. Um, I can't remember the name of the book, but he was talking Jeff something. Jeff Benjamin, maybe. Okay. Philadelphia. Um, maybe the book will come to my name, my, my mind. But you got to refresh every five years. It's just maybe he was with. Um, what are some Stephen Star? I think he might have been like Stephen Star's like right hand guy, front of house or one of those. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, how often would you say the, the family business refreshed before? Never. Yeah. So why is it so important to, to freshen up? Well, I mean, if, if you're going to be a generational family business, or you're going to be a generational business as well, the world changes. And the way that people, the styles, the trends, the way that people look at you evolves over time. And you've got to continue to evolve with that. And, you know, we have, we had or have a, a, an iconic building, an iconic chandelier. It's a place where we created a, thousands of memories for people. And that chandelier wasn't going anywhere. Um, but the brand that we presented behind that chandelier really needed to continue to evolve and grow and get younger and to get refreshed. And so we went through the process of making those changes happen because we knew that it was going to attract a younger, um, newer clientele to be able to come in and have their events with us. So, I mean, I, th- I think also just having a, a new generation of people who can kind of relate with the new demographic, the new target market, uh, the, you know, the people that were replacing the those who would be throwing these types of parties before, like the, the clientele changes with times. Yeah. Um, being of the demographic of the people you're serving absolutely must have, have helped that. Was there resistance from the family to change things? Yeah. How did you, you deal with that? Uh, we just met and talked about it. Yeah. And honestly, that's what we do as a family business. You might have a new idea. You might have um, something you want to change. Or you might have a problem. And you're going to have disagreements. I think that's where our strength is the best is when we're in that room and we're meeting as a family and someone presents something. We have real dialogue. We have real conversations and we stay there until we all come to an agreement on what the best course of action is. So you and I may not agree myself and my sister may not agree on that path, but as we talk through the pros and cons of both areas, it goes to a family vote and we you know, try to figure out what the best course of action is. And eventually one side says, you know what, you're right, let's give it a shot. And we're going to put 100% of our effort and belief behind that idea, even if it wasn't ours. Um, and so as we progressed and came into the business, we sat with our family and said, you know, these things need to change. Oh, no, this is the way it's always been. And we said, well, this is why. And really finding that why uh, was important. And, and then you, you have some success. You have one thing that you presented and it goes really well. Now they've got buy-in for the next. And say, okay, well, we can reference this other area that, was, that worked out. Um, and so it's just an evolution. And it just starts with building those relationships as a family, being able to have comfortable conversations with that. And then presenting ideas and trying to grow. So you said uh, sales increased. Are you willing to talk about like by how much? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, when when did this like this shift happen? Was it was it 2018 when when you guys did like the facelift of the the remodel? 
yeah, 2018, 2017, 2018, we did the remodel of the brand. Yeah, uh, said- we also remodeled one of the rooms. Okay. We had done a refresh of the whole ballroom the year before I came on board. Um, and so the aesthetic on the inside changed. Um, we were doing, you know, when I came on board in 2011, we were in the three, three and a half million range. Um, and when before COVID, our peak, we are, you know, close to six. Wow. So we really grew. Wow. Um, we made a really big impact, which was, which was great. Do you think it was mostly just the, 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 the new look or like what were you doing differently to, to increase sales other than just keeping it fresh? Honestly, I think it was myself, my sister, my cousin, and we were just passionate. We loved what we did and we knew that there was a lot of growth. We had been doing things the same way, and we were just kind of stagnant. And we were still a place that people came, but it didn't have a refresh look. It didn't have a newfound energy, and we brought that. The three of us came in there and were like, let's turn this into something we'd be really, really proud of to continue to grow. And, and we just took the bull by the horns and just kind of went with it. What did that look like outside from freshening things up, though? What did you start doing differently internally? Internally, with our team, we hired new people. We added people, you know, we, we added new salespeople. We brought in uh, people who had experience, um, but also who were younger. Um, we tried to infuse some energy in that. We joined a lot of associations and started going out and learning and getting educated. What type and, of associations? So like ILEA, International Live Events Association, NACE, National Association Caterers and Events. Um, I joined the board of a nonprofit that I still sit on today called the Search Foundation, which helps event professionals in crisis. We started to go and speak at conferences, Cater Source, the special event conference. Um, so we would go to those conferences every year and learn from professionals across the country on what they did in the events and catering world. And then we started speaking on family business, you know, on leadership at these conferences and really making an impact. And that in turn created more energy and more vibrancy into, um, into our growth. And we saw like, oh, we're going to learn from people who do this in other places and really start to invest our time and energy and money into our education on how best to be the best caterer and the best hospitality brand that we can be and took from all of our you know, competitors and people around the country you know, and you know, I hate competitors. I like co-opetition. It's yeah. a really good good word. Uh, um, Simon Sinek uses uh, opposition. Okay. I love that because the way he talks about it is like you're not competing to beat people. It's like that's the wrong – like if you have – that, he calls that a finite – Sure. Or, sorry, uh, a finite mindset. But if, but if you have what he calls an infinite or an infinity, like an infinite mindset, it's about you have opposition. And opposition's good because they challenge you and they make you better and they have different perspective. Uh, and that perspective might open your eyes to different things, but you're probably doing the same thing for them simultaneously. Yeah. So like, it's like, Hey, I wish you the best. I want you to go as far as possible, but like I do things different and like you have your way. I have my way. We're in opposition, but we're not competing. Yeah. And we should be cooperating more with right. each other. You know, like we've got Shyberg next door, Shyberg next to us. Awesome. Uh, rotisserie chicken restaurant. Super cool concept. Um, yeah. So like talking with them about collaborations how we can work together. You know, I had a, we had a, did a pizza making class in the back room yesterday and one of the little kids running around ran to another kid and hit her eye. 
and the mom came to me and said, hey, do you, do you guys have any ice? I'm like, we're a brewery. We don't have any <laughs> ice here. But I could go next door and talk to the GM over there and say, hey, buddy, can I get a bag of ice? One of the kids just hit his head. Just have and her hold her head against have the like side of that have an awesome <laughs> relationship with the people around yeah. you. You could lean on each other. For sure. Now, I want the person walking down the street to come through our door as opposed to going through their door to see our experience. But I also want when they're here to say, hey, next time you come in this area, go check out the guys next door because they do an awesome job. Come back to us for a beer and a pizza, but go check out their cocktail program because it's badass. And you really want to be able to work with the people around you. For sure. Um, so when did you, you start going to these trade shows in 2017, 18, around that time too? We started, I started going right when I joined the business so in so 2011, 2012. Okay. Yeah. What were the, the biggest influences that you think you got from going to those trade shows that, you know, like really had the biggest impact in your organization? It's just that we're not the only one. Yeah. You know, like there was a world out there that I had just not known about. And in the restaurant world, you, you know, you got Mass Restaurant Association, which we're, we're part of. And there's some associations like that. I didn't know what the events world was like. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know the extent at how far that went. And so that's where we got the most value of meeting like-minded people who are either going through the same struggles we're going through or having successes because they've already been through them. And when you can get in a room and you can get educated by the people who are in your industry who've been through it, it was such a big, big resource for us. And it's, it's one that I continue to go. I mean, I'm, I'm leaving in a week and a half to go down to that conference nice. um, and connect with people who you know, have become some of my best friends in the industry. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. Like, I, I want to talk about what you got going on today and yeah. uh, the, the new vision uh, with Lombardo Hospitality Group um, and how you're kind of transitioning into the future and the businesses you got going on today. But before we get into that, I am really curious. And, and this kind of came out a little bit earlier, but like in terms of in terms of secession, um, what advice do you have for people who are listening to this and might be in the family business? Um, like what advice do you have for us for you know, passing that torch? Like, What were the challenges you guys had internally as a family? We couldn't, we couldn't make a decision. How long was the conversation like, in the years. ring? Years. Like years of just stagnant conversations. What couldn't you decide? We couldn't decide what the, what the transition from the third generation to the fourth generation looked like. Um, how best to, you know, how best to work as a family business, how to really learn how to work as a family business. And we went years just kind of spinning our, spinning our wheels. Those family business meetings were not that effective for the first probably five years of, our, of, of the three of us G, G4 generation being in, in those meetings. Um, and it wasn't until we hired a professional to come in and teach us the best way that we can communicate on the family business end to learn about succession, learn about all the things that we need to put into place, um, the systems, um, the financial systems are put into place, and start to really develop a true plan, taught us how to have a meeting the right way. Those things weren't happening when we all first came into the business. It was very divided. There was, you know, there was a corporate office and our family, and then there was the people who were working, and it wasn't until we all got in there and started thinking about what what's the future hold? What what are we going to do next? How do we grow? Um, how do us in the fourth generation start to think about becoming owners? And what does that conversation look like? 
And they were difficult conversations to have without learning how to have them. Right. And so my advice is hire professional. Who'd you hire? Can you say? Um, a little plug? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know the name of the company. Okay. This girl, Linda, this lady, Linda, um, and she was super sweet. I'll figure out the name and I'll, I'll say, and I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, we, we got them as a resource from, uh, the dean of the at the time was the dean of the UVM family bi- okay. of, of the business school who taught the family business class, and she referred um, you know a real secession planner to come down and, and work with us. So the the, the big things you mentioned was uh, the increase. Oh, sorry, um, the financial systems that you had to learn. Figuring you changed the financial systems, and you also changed the um, the meeting systems. Yeah. So kind of paint that picture. Like, what didn't you know that she helped you realize? Well, she created structure. What did you that know? structure look like? Structure was... Where was it before or where was it after? Before, there was no structure. So in we all of kind what? of sat in a room and we chatted. So like we're talking about the, the financial meetings? Just the actual, the actual business meetings we were having didn't have a lot of structure. So okay. you'd go to a meeting, you'd sit there, and you'd talk about family stuff. You'd talk about business stuff. There wasn't a note taker. There wasn't a timeline. There wasn't an agenda. There just kind of was conversation. And then things are said. Nothing's recorded. And... You leave there, and then you come back in a week or a month, and you do it all over again because yeah. no one paid attention the first yeah. time and didn't really like, didn't put any action actionable items in the plan. Got it. So what she did is she brought us, sat us down, and was like, first of all, you need an agenda every meeting. You need a start time. You need an end time, and you need exactly bulleted out what you guys are going to talk about during your meeting today. And she created a spreadsheet where, you know, every every month. You know, we'd have a family business meeting every month, and every month the note taker would change. And so you had a chair of every meeting that would change. And so it wasn't always, you know, Vinny, my, our CEO, my uncle. Um, my father would be chair one time, I'd be chair one time, and we'd rotate the responsibilities of leading the meeting. And that chair was just le- who's going to lead the meeting? Who's going to walk us through the agenda? Who's going to walk us through the bullet points? Who's going to tell people when it's time to stop speaking? Who's, and then we had a note taker. Who's going to be taking notes today? Who's recording this conversation? Who's taking notes on all the details that are going on? And then who's creating actionable items? And so in that meeting, you'd have the actual items from last week, what they are, who's responsible for doing them, and when they're supposed to be done. Yes. And you'd build that all out, and that's how you'd run our meetings moving forward. So it had structure. It had measurable items. It had um, accountability. Accountability. And you could turn and say, hey, dad, like we expected the P&Ls to be here this meeting. Why are they not here? And what happened that caused it to not be here? And how do we fix that for the next time? Yeah. What you're talking like. So what I use for what you just described is EOS. Are you familiar with Traction? Have you ever heard uh, the book Traction, Gina Wickman? I've heard the book. Yeah. I'm ready it though. Great. So what they in that book, they talk about the entrepreneurial operating system. Um, and in, within the operating, the, the EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, they have what they call a, a level 10 meeting. And the level 10 meeting is a weekly meeting. Um, and the level 10 meeting is a part of a greater meeting system. You have your, your annual meeting. You have your first meeting. We're like, where do we want to be in 10 years? Yeah. And then you, you basically reverse engineer that with the, all the way down to like your, your annual meetings to your weekly meetings to your quarterly meetings. It's basically we're, we're, we're going here in 10 years. This is where we're going to be. And how do we reverse engineer that and break it down into bite size? And what can we do this week to get closer to that 10-year goal, right? Yeah. But they, they talk up like they, 
Um, it's called the EOS. I encourage anybody to. I, I'm going to be pushing EOS hard in the, cool. the coming years. I'll go check it out. Yeah, and, um, I mean, essentially that's what we were doing. It sounds like yeah. on the meeting end, one hundred percent. So the, they use different language, but basically it's like uh, you have your level ten meeting, which is just a weekly meeting, and then the first thing you do is you talk, like you segue into a, what's pr- professional or in pr- personal good news. Then you go over your scorecard, which is like here are the numbers. Key, you go over the, all the key KPIs. And then from there, you, you talk about uh, customer issues or whatever the issues are. And then you go through each one of the, the team members' rocks, which is like their focus. And are you on track or off track from wherever you said you were going to be during the quarterly meeting? I'm off track. Drop it down. And you don't talk about anything until you get to the identify, discuss, solve. Mm-hmm. And as you're going through everybody's KPIs and their, whether they're on or off, you get to that identify, discuss, solve, and you start brainstorming. Why didn't you do this? Like, what was the issue? What was the roadblock? Like, how, what's another solution? And it, but it forces you to your point to have that structure, to have somebody documenting all this. And then when you come back the next week, did you get over that hurdle? So it forces people. It's a, it's a process for growth, which is why I love it. And I think that is exactly what that's, that helped us be able to have better conversations related to the business and to segregate when it was time to talk about family stuff. Yeah. Um, And it made our unit stronger. It made our family stronger and um, they're super helpful. And we couldn't have done it without having somebody come in and teach us that. Yeah. And sometimes you need that, that third party that is, you know, like not, not you know, part of the family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To be the tiebreaker. Yeah, that outsider yeah. come in. And, and so, you know, that lady came in and met with us. She would attend all of our meetings. Yeah. And then eventually she weaned off and said, okay, I'm not going to come this week. You guys are going to run it yourself. And then I'm not going to come this month. You guys aren't going to run it yourself. And then it's been years. She's not at those meetings anymore. And we've got it figured out. We still don't always make the right decision or decisions quickly, but we have the structure of how we have those meetings. And it's weird talking about family business on a, on a public podcast, so I want to say thank you to be for being willing to talk about this yeah. stuff. Um, but it sounds like you had a really healthy family dynamic. So yeah, I mean, it, it really our family has really been they're my best friends, and I think that is was instilled by my grandfather Sal after he had the fallout with his brother. Was you've got to take care of your family, yeah. and so you know I. My my wife laughs at me like my our only friends are family. I mean, we have other friends too, but like family is that's who I want to spend time with. I yeah. want to go hang out with my brother down the Cape. I want to go see my sister and and her daughter Hazel and brother and my brother in law Rich. Like I want to go hang with Francesca and and her husband um, and their kids. Like we gravitate towards each other and we really invested a lot of energy into those relationships and they've become the best ones in my life. So ultimately, where did you land? Like, how did the family decide to move forward? So COVID, COVID hit. And as you know, as you've talked about this all the time, it's kind of a pivotal point in our industry. It's changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And for us, um, it almost accelerated the, the future transition to where we are today. Um, we were cooking on all cylinders. Business was great. Our numbers were the best they've ever been. And I was at the Cater Source Conference in Las Vegas, and the world shut down overnight. NBA canceled their season. I'm watching on the TV. All the sports leagues canceling their season. People laying off everybody. And I think it was March 16th. 
whatever yeah. it was. It was like I was a crazy in California day. when the, the world, I was like, am I going to be able to get home? Yeah. And it was like, like this weird thing. Like, yeah. what do you mean? Like, we can't go somewhere or see someone. And we're in a social gathering business. We're, yeah. you know, caterers, hospitality. Yeah. And it became social distancing and you couldn't be around people. And our industry was shut down. Yeah. And the first industry to shut down was events and gatherings. And it was the last one to reopen. So we got home and we had to lay off 147 Ouch. people overnight. Ouch. And that's not a good feeling. And those people have worked for our family for 30 Ooh. plus years. These are like, they, they changed my diapers back in the day. <laughs> like, this is like as close to blood as we have. Yeah. And they're all, and they're all out of a job. Mm. And our building shut down and it's dormant. And for, for months we had nothing um what what we did have was a positive attitude and energy and so my brother and i would go because he was out of work my brother and i would go to lombardo's every day and we would cook for all the hospitals so we'd go in there and because we have freezers full of food refrigerated for food that's all gonna die right and we said screw it let's start cooking all this stuff so we'd make you know, 500 burritos. And then we'd drive them to Mass General and drop them off for the nurses. And we'd call up another hospital. Do you guys need food tomorrow? We'd make 500 meals for them. And we, we, I think we made like 150,000 meals in like two and a half months. Just him and I in the kitchen. And I've never had more fun during my life than I did in those few months with my brother just staying positive and trying to come up with what we could do next and how we can get back, get our people back. Isn't that just a testament to our industry too? You think of like who was hit the hardest with it. Like you could argue it was, it was the hospitality industry events. Like yeah. in terms of like our business was literally pulled away from us. Right. Especially events in person events. Yeah, right. You couldn't do anything. And it's crazy to think that in that time of we're getting hit the hardest, we're also doing the most to support the, the other people that are going through it right yeah. now. You know, yeah, we like want to take care of people. Yeah. And that's what hospitality is, yeah. is taking care of people. Warmth, generosity. Yeah. And that's like, if we take care of our guests, then the success will follow. Yeah. So when we take care of our people, be it internal or external, I mean, we would make meals all the time for our staff to pick up. Come by, pick up food. I got a, you know all these dry goods. Come get them. And we just gave everything away. We also gave all of our clients who had their events full refunds. Like not many people did that. And we were really proud to say, listen, it's not their fault either. Right. Who are we to keep their deposit? Who are we to keep their money? Yeah. They need that just as much as we may, but if you're tracking all that, you can go to the, but we didn't know early on, but you can go to the state, you can go to the SBA and say, this is what we lost. Yeah. Like a lot of us got it back. Yeah. Those PPP loans, all that stuff was definitely helpful. So it was during this time, I'm assuming that things slowed down where you're able to have the hard discussions. Yeah. And so as things slow down, um, you're not running on that hamster wheel anymore, right? Yeah. So you're looking at your business in a different perspective. And we saw this beautiful building of Lombardo's that has been around since the 1960s. We bought it in 83, but it was built in 63. Um, and it needed a lot of work. It, needed, it had a lot of wear and tear. Um, aesthetically, it was beautiful. But the guts inside yeah. were... You know, the amount of duct tape on pipes in that place (laughs) um, is astounding. And so we had a lot of, you know, at home fixes in that spot. And we knew that there was a big investment coming into the physical property of that building. 
Um, it sits on a beautiful piece of land that luckily our family owns. Um, and so from a financial standpoint, you know, we're not still paying, we're paying rent to ourselves. And so we had the ability to look at that building and say, okay, well, we're not operating. We don't have anything coming in, but also we own the property. It's paid off. So we're, we're in a really good space. And this is after all the other updates you guys did a whole yes, we've done all these yeah. rebrands we did all this so this stuff. is more guts this is more like 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 okay we put new makeup on it but now let's let's yeah. give grandma a new knee yeah yeah like we needed to go <laughs> in and do some new repairs yeah. a new hip yeah yeah <laughs> shoulders we needed a lot um and so during that time you know we're having the family conversations on what we need to invest to make this business the make the building better and when an old building sits for a long time and it's not in use, just like your body, yeah. you know, your knee starts to hurt yeah. and your elbow starts to hurt. And we started to have more problems as we started to start to try to reopen. Um, and so we had a mindset as a family, you know, what are we going to do with this property? What are we going to do with this building? How much are we going to invest? And we also had the mindset of how are we getting our associates back to work? How are we getting, you know, how are we going to generate new business? So we had these two different mindsets going on at the same time. Um, on the mindset of how we get our business back and our associates back, you know, we turned our outdoor parking lot into a drive-in movie theater. So we did movies for the community. Um, we were able to sell food out of that, get some people back to work, get people pulling tickets, parking cars. Um, you know, we were able to help vendors by renting movie projector and yeah. project on the side of our building. Um, all of these things didn't generate revenue for us to be able to but it kept the community but it kept the community going and and we could break even yeah we could pay our associates we're not making any money on this but we can get people back to work people won't forget you when you give them you threw them a bone right like well maybe we're not making money on this but maybe we can help somebody who's also hurting right now so as things started to reopen restaurants couldn't restaurants and bars couldn't open without serving food right it was like a weird I mean, it, I guess it made sense. Maybe it didn't. I don't really know I think what it's the that, alcohol like, was. Like you can't alcohol. serve alcohol and not give people food because yeah. of so they so bars reasons. couldn't reopen. So our nightclub couldn't reopen. We couldn't get people in there. But so we took our nightclub. We converted into a, a dinner lounge, and so we set up tables. You know, six feet in distance. Yada yada yada. We'd host comedy nights, and we'd have a full restaurant. You know, ribeye steaks. Like we created amazing dining experience inside the nightclub. Get people back to work get our nightclub workers back to work. Um, the drive-in movie theater. Uh, and then my buddy, Adam Romano, who owns Castle Line Brewery, called me up and he said, hey, I can't open my brewery without food service. Are you guys open to doing some cooking in our parking lot at their other location in Norwood? We're sitting in their location in Southie right now um, for context. And their other location in Norwood is a big brewery. Um, they do a great business and he couldn't reopen his doors without serving food. He's like, it'll get your guys back to work. It'll allow us to reopen. It'll be an awesome thing. Yeah. I said, screw it. 100% auto. Yes. Let's make it happen. And I took a, you know, a a grill from Lombardo's we had. Um, I took one of the refrigerations off one of the bars that we had. That was Um, a lot of work. I rented a a propane oven from from a rental company and pop-up tents. And we created this like absolute hodgepodge outdoor kitchen definitely i don't know how we pass a health <laughs> inspection i'll tell you that much um 
my brother had a. I feel like people were just getting away with a lot more during that time anyway. Because I yeah. think people were just like, "We get it. You're trying you to survive. You're trying to do it." Yeah. My brother has a like a walking cooler on on a trailer, so he wasn't working. Yeah. So I took that thing. We brought it down, and we opened up this this kitchen in the parking lot. And if it rained, the tents would blow away, equipment would get fucked up, and then <laughs> you know we'd have to put it all back together. But we were able to get a team back to work. Yeah. Um, get our associates back, get people serving again, get yeah. hospitality going again. Yeah. And it was like a really cool, rustic way of starting. Yeah. And it was also the start of a relationship with Castle Iron Brewery and showing them that people loved our food, people loved what we were capable of. And, and that transitioned to Adam building out a new brewery in South Boston and was diehard on wanting a South Shore Bar Pizza in there. And all the other guys around who do South Shore Bar Pizza for decades said we're not looking for to invest anything in creating a new a new spot and he turned to us and he said you guys have been doing food for us for a long time you helped us out are you interested in this opportunity to open up a south shore bar pizza spot in our brewery and i said yeah we're gonna get more people back to work let's go do it i love that i I, we i asked the question we got talking about the the pandemic and what happened during the pandemic because i asked you about where did you end up with the family business, like what ended up happening? How did you land on? Because ultimately, what what you decided was that your the third, the fourth, wait, your fourth generation, yeah. the third generation was going to sell all assets. Well, so yeah, so I started talking and I rambled on and got to where Bardo's is today, but all that happened during that first year of the pandemic. Got it. So during that time, from a business standpoint, we're trying to get associates back to work, and we're trying to figure out how we can continue to impact our, our associates and, and figure out a business plan. At the same time, as a family business, and we're looking at the numbers, we're looking at the building, we're looking at not being open for events, we're not looking at sales, we got an offer to buy the property. And so business was shut down, things were really low, we had no idea what the future held coming out of this pandemic. Um, we had a building that needed a lot of work. And we had a my father's generation that was getting older. Yeah, they're at this point in their late sixties, yeah. early seventies, and they got an opportunity to liquefy assets, to liquefy assets, and to sell their sell their sell the business and sell the property more more the more the property in the business, but with the property goes the building, right? Right. So they got the opportunity to do that, and we talked for a really long time because it's. I don't know anything else besides that building. Right. Well, it, I mean, that was kind of what I was curious about. Like, what were there? Like, were you interested? Were you and your your sister and your cousin interested? I think that at the time, yeah, yes, we were. So I'll why, be clear about that. Yeah. We were interested in selling because we didn't know what the future hold held, and we knew that financially it would Provide be security. beneficial for our family. Right. And so we knew that we knew that we were smart enough as as kids to. If the family business wasn't around anymore, we could go out and we could figure out our own path. We were confident in each other. We were confident that we wanted to do something together. We felt really good about what we could create on our own if that business and that building wasn't there anymore. And we talked a lot as a G4 about what that could look like and what it could be and how we can still impact in hospitality and food service and what that could be. Um, But emotionally, it was such a difficult decision to walk away from a place that has been a part of our family and the community for 40 years. And so it was a really hard decision to get to. And it was one of those decisions that not everybody in the room agreed upon. 
And we had a lot of conversations. We had a lot of back and forth. Um, and ultimately, we sold. Yeah. So yeah. you're still working. Lombardo Hospitality Group is still you. It's still your sister and it's still your cousin, correct? Currently today, yeah. So we okay. created Lombardo Hospitality Group. So we committed to selling the business as a family. Lombardo's. Of of the property. Of the property. And with that goes Lombardo's and Vincent's Nightclub. Got so it. we committed as a family to do that. But we didn't make our associates aware that that had happened. Um, associates meaning your employees? All of our employees. Okay. And so we had an op, we were operating a nightclub and we had, a, and all of our clients, right? There was a lot of people who didn't know that we had made that decision. Um, and we didn't want to displace events. We saw venues closed during COVID and people had to reschedule their, their weddings. And we, we said, you know what, if we're going to close our doors, we want to make sure that we take care of all, all of our clients for as long as we can. And so we had an agreement with the people who bought it that we could stay in operating for it was like 18 months it was like okay. almost like a year and a half wow and almost two years actually when it all came down it was about two years so you sold all the assets you didn't own but you still owned the business or they still so we so you became operating partners where they were paying you nope we did nothing we said we're gonna we're gonna agree to sell you the property but we're not gonna do it for a year and a half here are the terms here's what it is but you're not getting anything until we sign on the dotted line but we had made the, the, the agreement to sell, purchase to sale, letter of intent, LOI, you know, all ready to go. Um, purchase and sale, ready to go with an execution date and a closing date for two years from now. And so it was at that point where we turned around and said, okay, we need to make the community aware of what we're doing. Um, and at that time, it was, you know, we, we were hush-hush. I didn't even, we didn't tell our wives. We didn't tell our, our, our siblings. I didn't let my brother know. I mean, we, we didn't make anybody aware except for the six of us who are part of the business of the family um, for probably four months. Wow. And that was a really difficult four months because, you know, things are starting to reopen. Things are starting to come back. We're starting to get events. And, and we also know that this, this deadline is coming in our future. Got it. It's so crazy. ultimately today, you, um, what do you own today? Yeah, so during that time, we created Lombardo's Hospitality Group because we wanted to have a home for Bardo's Pizza and whatever else we do to live underneath. So we wanted to create this identity. So we created Lombardo's Hospitality Group out of the air, and we said, okay, we're going to put Vincent's Nightclub, Lombardo's events, you know, Lombardo's events, meetings, and occasions, and Bardo's Bar Pizza underneath that brand. And so when we sell Lombardo's and we close Vincent's nightclub, Lombardo's Hospitality Group is a publicly known entity already. So we started marketing Lombardo's Hospitality Group to the public. And ultimately, that's what my sister, my cousin Francesca, and myself own today. So we, we are now the owners of Lombardo's Hospitality Group, which includes Bardo's Bar Pizza and most recently Off the Vine Catering. Uh, which is a local catering company that's been around for about 20 years, located in Norwood, Mass., that we purchased at the beginning of 2024. Do they own a bunch of markets across the area? No. Off the Vine? Mm-mm. Oh. There's, I think there's an Off the Vine in Exeter, New Hampshire. Okay. Maybe it's a different Maybe, yeah. group. I was just curious. I was associated. Um, so we decided that we've got Bardo's Bar Pizza. It's going great, but we need more 
and we want to be able to keep our team engaged and we, we, we want more. We knew that the Bardo's brand wasn't going to support our three families, myself, my sister, and my cousin, the way that we wanted to. And we said, we got the energy to go do something more. We want to stay in hospitality. We want to stay in food. We want to stay in events. What do we do really well? Well, we do food really well and we do catering really well. So let's go find a home for that catering business. And, this, and ultimately, we decided to purchase an existing business as the best way for us to continue to grow that name. Okay. And this is a good time to take a break, a second break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about where you are today and what the plan for the future is and what it all looks like. This podcast is made possible by Restaurant Systems Pro, and we need to let you know that every second and fourth Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, Fred Langley, will be going live where he'll cover what you need to know about running a profitable restaurant from soup to nuts. This live event will reveal the steps to manage the service and financial goals for your restaurant's productivity. Everyone who attends this live event will get a recording of the Restaurant Systems Pro four-day how-to-run-a-profitable-restaurant-from-soup-to-nuts recording. This event costs $2,500 to attend live, and you'll get it for free. Head to go.restaurantsystemspro.net slash restaurantunstoppable. That's go.restaurantsystemspro.net slash restaurantunstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Mies. Running the back of house brings a whole suite of challenges like distributing intellectual property from your chef's brain to your back of house team across all of your locations. Once that information gets distributed, you still have to train your back of house to ensure the recipes are being executed accurately and consistently. Once everybody is trained, you still have to nail down profit calculations, which can be a nightmare when your team doesn't fully understand theoretical food costs, factoring in yields, and unit conversions. Then, once all this is done, you still have to push the information across all of your locations in real time, factoring in the prices that are constantly changing. Are you kidding me? That's where Mies comes in. With Mies, you can standardize your culinary intellectual property and stay in sync as a team. You can train your team quickly and maintain dish consistency by turning your recipes into interactive training material, and you can get laser accurate food costs because Mies allows you to calculate the yields of your ingredients with prep loss included. Create a free account by visiting getmees.com slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z.com forward slash unstoppable. And as a listener of Restaurant Unstoppable, you can get 25 recipes uploaded to your Mies account for free. Sign up today and learn more at G-E-T-M-E-E-Z.com forward slash unstoppable. We're back. Um, so where we left off is... Um, you talked about where you are today. You have Bardo's and Off the Vine Catering, and that is all under the uh, Lombardo's uh, Hospitality Group. Um, and you said you're going to go find a space, an existing space, and take over it. That, that's ultimately what happened. So what is the existing space that you took over? So we bought Off the Vine Catering, which is a commissary and a kitchen with offices that was up, fully up and operating and working for... 25 years. Okay. So they've been an existing brand, an existing family business for a long time. The, the caterer who, who we purchased it from, Darren, actually was worked for our family oh, way cool. back in the day full circle. And, and was uh, the caterer at my bar mitzvah. So oh, it was cool. like a crazy full circle that just made it feel really right. But they weren't, that wasn't our first choice. We wanted to say, okay, we want to build out a new commissary. We want to build out a new venue. We want to go find a new space. And 
We didn't have, we didn't have enough money to do that. Well, I was curious about that because you sold the property, the family business. Um, that went to your your the third generation, their their basic retirement, right? Yeah. So you guys didn't get to, you didn't see that in terms of like your assets. Yeah, like we don't we we as G four didn't have any. We don't have any ownership. What's a G four? Just generation, generation four. four. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, "What is okay?" G4, so, yeah. so generation four didn't get too, any right? of the assets. Any of the when they sold, that kind of went to taking care of uh, when they third generation. When they sell, actually, yeah. when we're having this conversation, the the close date on the business is tomorrow. Yeah, so this will be live in wild. a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, uh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Uh, but you, you did say that your family was able to help you. You went, you got personal financing from them. Yeah, so we were able to get. Um, we were able to, to get some financing from our family to, and, to and buy get, get a loan through them Got it. to be able to make the purchase of Off the Vine Catering nice. and kind of jumpstart this, this next phase of our yeah. family business. Some people like so. kind of like, I don't know, turn their nose to like getting money from family or like, oh, you're privileged and blah, blah, blah. I say use your privilege to every it's 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 a beautiful thing to be privileged i think what's un, what's what's ugly is when you take you, you don't take advantage of that the opportunity to have people to yeah. when you squander that opportunity I mean, yeah i think what's important is it's is they're not gifting us anything like it's a it's a loan it's a loan like we're, <laughs> we've got interest and yeah. we have to pay it off and yeah. we've got a time frame for when that needs to be paid off and but i would say it's that you're like privileged. a real business but our privileges i'm not going yeah. to the bank i'm exactly. not going to the i'm not going to sba um, I'm sure you got a time. great interest rate. We got a pretty good one, but yeah. the interest rate's gone up since we figured <laughs> it out. Like it, it, it's not, you know, that it's not just a gift. Like yeah. we're we're paying it back with interest, and it's something that we're committed to do it. And we wanted it that way. We but, said we don't want any handout here. We appreciate the opportunity and the privilege. I'd say to be able to go through you guys at right. this time, um, and in purchasing this catering company, it's worked out really well. I think there's a lot of things that we want to continue to do and we want to continue to grow and we're going to need to go to a bank at some point and get a loan to do some of the, the growth we want. You yeah, know? so what's the vision? Oh, man. I mean, we want to be the place that people remember for all their moments, mm. you know? And so from a hospitality group standpoint, from a Bardo specifically, um, we're locate, we've got two locations now. We've got this location we're at, which is a brick and mortar. We have a 25-foot food trailer that we built out um, so it's a mobile unit. It currently lives at Castle Island Brewery in Norwood, but we pull it for events all the time. Um, so you have a party in your backyard, you got a corporate gather, whatever it is, like we can, it's mobile. So we got a mobile Bardos. We can go anywhere. We'd like a brick and mortar standalone with a full bar and restaurant Bardos. And then we also want to take our pizza wholesale. And so developing the right recipes and the right packaging to be able to get a great bar pie, vacuum sealed, buy it in your supermarket. So that wholesale business and that wholesale production is something that's coming down the line in our future. I saw you guys have uh, the sausage uh, Oh, yeah. We got a sausage company, too. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. So we have uh, Lombardo's famous sweet, hot, and garlic and cheese Italian sausages. Um, that recipe goes back to 1927 to the meat market. And that's only online, right? So it's online, yeah. Yep. yep. Or you can get it at Pink Door okay. Catering Market that's down right. the Cape. You know, I and we're the leading sausage company in Bermuda. Your bro hooked me up. He gave me like a goodie bag. All right, good. On the way home. Yeah. Um, he threw, I shouldn't probably not say this out loud. He threw, 
<laughs> he threw uh, a couple of seltzers and he threw like a couple of beers in there. And okay. I'm driving down 95. I didn't realize that I grabbed the beer out of that. He, oh, threw, he threw beers in here? <laughs> <laughs> I cracked the road soda unwill- like, unknowingly. Unknowingly. That, <laughs> that makes down it okay. That makes it okay. Um, I didn't know what to do with that. So do I throw this out the window? Let's just say yeah. that's what I did with it. So in the, <laughs> in the what are we going to do when there's no business going on, we had a family sausage recipe. We always made sausages. We always gave them to friends. We used them in food and our recipes. We said, let's put it into production. So we found an awesome co-packer in Boston gave him the recipe they and he's been producing sausages for us fit packaging them labels and so we started selling them um i think we could probably spend some more energy in in promoting that more but yeah. it was just a cool little thing of like hey now we got you know yeah. 600 pounds of packaged sausages give, give, so give you did inherit something right the yeah. family recipe yes we have the family recipe <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. and the original sausage maker so we got those two things <laughs> nice. pretty good uh, so I so what about the catering? Do you have, what are your hopes to scale that? Because you talked about a lot about Bardos. The they want to have a second location. You want to get retail. What about the catering? Yeah. So so the purchase of off the vine has been a really interesting thing. Um, getting to know the current owners or the the previous owners. They're still on board with us right now, yeah. helping us in this transition. But How they, long have you been uh, the owner of on the vine? Three weeks today. Oh wow. Yeah, like super new. And what was their business like before? Like, did they have good business? Are you taking yeah. over? Like, yeah, they've got good business. They got great team. They the got black. seven catering trucks. They're in the black. Okay. Um, and so it's too soon to tell what impact you've had on that organization. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you that we've had an impact already in the areas that we're great at, which is taking care of people and hospitality, mm. and not that they didn't do a good job at either of those things but we just approach we approach people differently what's different about your approach um it's not a business approach um i don't i we don't look at our people as assets um that are there to work and clock in and clock out and um and they're there they're there for one purpose and that's to help generate revenue like that's not why they're there why are they there? Um, they're there to take care of our guests who uh, who we want to entertain. And they're there to be stewards of our name and of, of our legacy. And so we want to treat them like family. And I think that these these people who we had not known and we've only known for three weeks have already been like, holy shit, like this is a different way of being taken care of. Like this guy sat down and just had a great conversation with my about my family and my heritage and where I'm from and what I want to do with my life and my goals. Like it's not a it's not might not be a normal way to start of right. acquiring a new business. But we want to make sure that the the people who work for us work for us for the 20, 30, 40 years if they choose to, or we help them become better people in general and so if we can help them grow to a point where they leave us and go follow their dreams that's that's the the ultimate side of success right that's the goal and i think what ends up happening is when you make that the goal when you try to push people out by doing good by giving them the means to leave the skills the resources the relationships they end up not going anywhere yeah and some will but I think you have a much higher retaining. Like you, like you end up finding people who don't want to open their own business, but they have passion. For sure. Back to what we were saying earlier. And you're able to give them a vertical for that passion. Yeah. And then that's how your business grows organically, right? So like in the first three weeks, we've reorganized the kitchen, make it more efficient, sat down with them, listened to what, 
works for them, what doesn't work for them, why things are in certain places, heard them, made changes to make their lives better from a work standpoint. Then listen to them about their life, what interests them, what gets them excited. You know, I, I learned that one gentleman on our team, Lewis, who's an absolute rock star, uh, is like an incredible artist. And so we're closing down Lombardo's. We've got all these frames, all these pictures everywhere that are going to go in the trash pulling those off and be able to go in there and say, hey, Lewis, we just met literally four days ago, but I know that you're an artist and you love to paint. Here's some really beautiful, gorgeous frames that we're not going to use that you can use for your art. And he's like, what the? Like, who are these people? And I think that's what we, that's the impact we can make right now. The chefs that we've inherited on this team and we've brought our executive chef from Lombardo's with us, and we promoted um, our chef de cuisine at Bardo's to our executive sous chef at the catering place. So we brought two amazing leaders on our team, but they already had a team of people, and those people are culinary. They're just awesome. Yeah. They're really good, way better than I thought we were going to walk into. The team that we're inheriting is phenomenal, and so them combined with the leadership that we have – the, the opportunities for growth on that end are un, unreal. And those owners that we're buying from, amazing people. Um, but they knew that they were going to be selling their business. So the last year, you know, they, they didn't push their sales as hard as they wanted to. They didn't make the changes in the space that they wanted to. And that space needed an uplift. So, yeah. you know, we've been painting. We've been ripping down walls. We've been changing shelving around. We're making it safer. We're making it better. And we're hoping to take that catering company and really grow it. And that. it's scalable. I mean, we have seven catering trucks. I, I don't even know what to do uh, with seven catering trucks, but I'm going to learn. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, man, this is great. I, I am. I want to pull back layers on the the current brick and mortar Bardo. Uh, sorry, um, Bardos that you that you have here, um, because it's you don't you you don't own this building, right? No, you don't. No. And it, it's it's like you're an appendage to the the breweries that. Why don't you tell me before I make assumptions? Like, what is the relationship here today? Yeah, so we, uh, our pizza concept lives inside of Castle Island Brewery, and we are responsible for the food up until the window, and nothing more. So, like, I'm looking around. Um, yeah, I don't see any signs of Bardo's branding. Just you have your hat. I got my hat. There's a big neon sign oh, over here. Okay. If you turn a little bit, got it. There's a, a a logo on the door. Got it. And our merch is around the back of the corner. Okay. Um. So, uh, but yeah, like it doesn't scream Bardo's here, right? Uh, which I wish it screamed Bardo's more. Okay. But it well, doesn't. Well, these are the kind of things, like, because I'm all for what you're doing here. I think that there's so much opportunity in collaboration and going further together and staying in your lane and using your lane to be a solution for somebody else who's missing your lane. And, I mean, beer and pizza, man, is there a better? Maybe peanut butter better. and jelly might have you beat. Maybe. But other than that, questionable. Like, yeah, like it's a great combination, and um, you're it's a win-win. Like your your lifetime friend now has this opportunity to have food with. They don't do food; they do beer. They do beer, right? So it's it's such a win-win. But like, what like what do we need to know? What's not obvious about these types of partnerships that that you would like to create awareness about? They're not easy. How do you make them less hard? Uh, you over communicate, and you talk a lot, and you. Um, I think that we, I think there's sacrifices both ways. You know, we, we have a really great pizza product 
they have a really great beer product, which is awesome. I'm we be sampling that. Yeah, just to you're going to sure be telling crushing the some food <laughs> in a little bit. Um, my passion, as much as I love pizza and pizza's life, it's awesome. Um, I'm not the chef. I'm not the culinary guy. I'm the hospitality guy. I'm service. I'm um, how we interact with guests. Um, that's what I love, and I don't have that control here. And so it's not my place as the food provider to impact service, hospitality, look, feel, um, you know, the look and feel of this place, everything. And, and they do a good job, but they don't necessarily do the job that I that the, they don't necessarily do it the way that I do it. Right. And so that's been a learning curve for me to say, okay, not my lane. It's not my lane, but yeah. I want it to be my yeah. lane. Like yeah. I want that. I not, strive not for my it. lane, my lane. Yeah. But not this this specific one, not my not lane. My lane. Yeah. <laughs> What's great is the team here is awesome. Yeah. And they're collaborative and they're open to our ideas and our input, but ultimately it's not our decisions. And so we meet every week, we have manager meetings, we talk about things that we want to see, but the style of service may not be exactly what we want. But it works for the brewery from the brewery's end and that brewery experience, but it may not be the level of service that I want on a food end, but so we're finding the balance in that, you know, what, what's going to work really well, what doesn't work when it doesn't work, how are we making those changes? Um, I, I try to have my voice in there. Yeah. Um, but also I also have to stay in my lane. I'm looking around trying to figure out what kind of service you get. So there is a host stand. So I'm assuming it's full service. Is it wrong? No. Continue to guess. Uh, it do was. You, do you order at the counter? You do. Okay. Yeah, uh, I love that model personally because I feel like the way we're going, it takes it takes the moving pieces out of the equation. Like, I'm not opposed to full service, but in a yeah. world where it's harder and harder to find people, if you can put more of the responsibility on the guests to, you know, order the food, I don't know. Like, yeah. there is no right way. No, no. I mean, I think um, I think that counter service is super effective in the certain environments. Yeah. I think a brewery environment, it's an effective right experience. You want to cultivate your own experience. You've got great educated bartenders who can talk you through different beers and give you tastings. You know, um, you can have a really awesome experience at a brewery with the counter service. When we started here was in COVID. And so you couldn't counter service. We didn't even, weren't even allowed to have seats at the bar at the time. Um, And so we had a full service model and transitioned out of that. And I really gravitate personally more towards a full service model through background. Yeah. With the background. And, and that's just my bias. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's the right thing for the space, but it's the, but it's the thing that I like and I know how I can impact hospitality on the guest experience. And it's different than a counter service where, you know, a guest wants to get another drink. They got to get up and get in line and get another drink, which works in a brewery environment. It works here. But it might not be what I always right. love. If there's one thing I know for certain, and the only thing I know for absolute certain that I've learned in a thousand plus interviews, yeah, tell me, is that there is no right way. Yeah, there's no right way. <laughs> and that I've almost sure. driven myself crazy trying to figure out, like, yeah. what am I committing to? What am I telling other people to do? What is the secret? 
There are no secrets. Yeah. There are an infinite possibility, like infinite possibilities in terms of how you approach your business. And it all depends on so many different variables. It does. It depends on you. It depends on your vision. It depends on the community you're in. It depends on so many different things. It depends on what your building has to offer. And like you, you got to be like water in this industry and you have to just adapt to the, the, the myriad of variables that will be thrown at you. Um, personal variables, like geographic variables, uh, cultural variables, um, how much money do I have variables? Yeah. You know, like if there's, it's a real, that's, yeah. I mean, that's a big one too, right? Yeah. You know, what can you afford to do? How, how's it going to look? Um, what I love is regardless of the style, if it's the way that I want it to be, it's the way that works for our space right now. And it's collaborative in the sense of our team is part of those conversations. We might not be the decision makers, but we have the conversations. We've adopted some of the things we do with our family of like, this is, this is decision on the table. Here's what I like to see. Here's what you like to see. Let's have a conversation. Let's choose a path and then let's commit to it 100%. And so, you know, this service model we currently have here is not my choice of ideal service model, but we're committed to it 100% yeah. and it's working. And it's really great to see that. And it's great for me to take a step back and be like, all right, well, maybe the service model I was envisioning is not exactly what it needed to be. Yeah. And, you know, and it's tweaked over time. Like there's a hybrid of, of what we're doing and we're getting to a point where like it's really starting to gel and it's been really fun to kind of learn, okay, well, I never thought of this being a counter service spot, but it's working out really well. Yeah, yeah. And so I am curious, the only thing, like when, it, when you're working in this type of relationship where you are the food appendage of a greater bigger picture yeah. facility um how do you manage cash flow in the back like you got money coming in from i'm assuming it's one pos one pos so you have all the beers and all the pizza and all the wings what else do you guys do beers pizza wings salad sandwiches okay all ice cream sandwiches all in one do you do the ice cream sandwiches too yeah is that you they're delicious so basically everything but the beer is you all anything you're drinking is them Everything you're eating is us. So what is the tech stack? How are you guys managing? Like, wh- like where are the orders coming in? How is it getting yeah. split up? So one POS, we use toast. Everything gets ordered. Based um, right here in Boston. Based right here in Boston. That's right. Yep. Um, are they a sponsor? No, but okay. I am a fan of toast. It's the most recommended POS right. on the show. Although I'll be public and I'll say it. They, they kind of, uh, they're getting a reputation for not really taking care of their clients. But I think... I get it at the same time because they were in a, a weird place when the pandemic hit. They were scaling. Yeah. They went public. They, I think that they had the people in place and then the people were forced to leave and then they had all these clients and it was weird. I get it. I think we, they're doing the best they can. We have... We're really happy with the way that the system works. Yeah. Um, there's always things that can be better. Like what? Like just what you said. Like okay. I, I mean... Just, it's better to come from you because yeah, I'm just I, a guy I, who talks to people. I think that you always want <laughs> customer service, right? Yeah. You always want to be able to pick up the phone and have something fixed. Now, now, granted, I say this now and I'm thinking about a time where at the pizza trailer, you know, our Wi-Fi went out. And, yeah, it took me an hour and 40 minutes on the phone with Toast to try to get our POS up and running. But they called in Verizon and we troubleshot the problem and like finally found the root of the problem and fixed the problem. So they were super helpful that yeah. day. Um, but there are times where it's a little bit more challenging, yeah. but we've been happy with the performance yeah. um, overall. And I, I, 
you know, we use a different POS company down the nightclub and at Lombardo's. Um, and I don't feel comfortable naming who they are. Um, but I would never use them again. And that was a really challenging. What if I say the name? Can you give me a, a look? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> no, even know if you'll guess I it. I won't play that yeah. game. Was it Lightspeed? No, it was not. Breadcrumb? Nope. Upserb was Breadcrumb now. Uh, was it a legacy platform? Nope. Um, we'll, we'll, yeah, we don't need we'll play we'll on. play it later <laughs> um yeah so you know the, so how it works here right let's get back to what we were talking about yeah, yeah, yeah um one pos system it's toast all the orders go through that we get kds screens in the kitchen we get the order we process the food everything gets out bardos does not handle any cash handling here um at the end of every month we reconcile what is food sales um, Castle Island gets a cut of that food sale and we get the rest. Um, we don't pay rent. We don't pay utilities. Um, we give them a percentage of our top line sales in exchange for being in their space. I mean, I don't super clean. It's weird. This is like where it starts to get awkward, like yeah, partnerships please. and you don't want to like put your, your business information out into the world. But like, how do you navigate that? Like what is, like, what is industry reasonable in terms of like what percentage your host gets of your food sales. Cause I'm, I'm assuming you're not getting any alcohol percentage. We sure aren't. Yeah. And that's why we would love in the future of our growth. And we know from being in the catering in the nightclub, like you make a lot of money on the alcohol. Yeah. So we'd love a brick and mortar Bardo's restaurant and bar on our own because we know the value of the profitability of alcohol. Yeah. Um, so that is in our future plan, but yeah, we don't get any cut of, any of the alcohol that's served here. Um, and what we did is we took a sliding scale of percentages. Um, so it slides over the course of four percentage points based on the volume of sales we do. So the more food sales you do, the higher percentage they get? The more food sales we do, the higher percentage that they get. So if things are slow, if it's just a slow time of year, like they we're, get less we're of that in cut. the end of January right now, which is, I'm sure is probably a slow time of year for you guys. Yep. Got a beautiful patio out here. People aren't drinking beer as sure much in do. the winter. you know. So they get a lower cut to help you guys make it worth yep. your time. Which is great. That's awesome. Um, and then we're at their other location in Norwood, and we have our own pizza trailer. We used to be inside of their space just with a regular kitchen, um, but we wanted to create some unity in the brand. So, you know, before we had the Bardo's Pizza Trailer, which came on board, it'll be our one-year anniversary is end of April. So we're coming up on a year um, with the Pizza Trailer. Before we had that, we just had a kitchen inside of their brewery that we put together and served similar menu, chicken, chicken cutlet sandwiches, wings, tacos, salads, um, sliders, just a bunch of random stuff. You don't happen to have a chicken cutlet sandwich here, do you? Oh, yeah. It's oh, fantastic. Shit. Oh, man. I'm so yeah. happy. Yeah. Um, it's an Italian thing. You guys, unless you're Italian, you just wouldn't get the cutlet sandwich. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Like <laughs> so when we brought the Bardo's brand out there, we built out this pizza trailer to live outside. Um, and we put in a toast POS in there, and we handle all our own cash handling. And so they have QR codes on the tables inside so people can order. We yeah. send them a text when it's ready. But it's more of, that's more of a very traditional yeah. brewery experience where you have the brewery and then you've got a food truck. They, you pay rents to basically park there, essentially. Well, I'm yeah. not sure if that's exactly And so for our about. agreement there, because um, I'm happy to talk about it, is we pay our utilities. So okay. we've got uh, our own electrical line. 
water. Uh, we pay our utilities, we pay our trash, and in exchange for providing the brewery with a food experience, we get to stay outside and make some money. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what about complicating? Is it complicated when you have two separate POS systems that under that are not under the same enterprise? Yeah. Because I'm assuming that the POS is owned by the, the brewery here. The here the brewery the brewery owns a POS. Yeah. So they have a great accounting team. My sister Jessica is uh, our CFO of Lombardo's Hospital Group. She's number wizard. Um, so her and their accountant are always in constant communication. Every month, at the end of the month, there's a reconciliation of everything. Merchandise all goes through their system. They get a cut of the merchandise, cut of food sales. All of it gets created in a spreadsheet. We double check numbers, private events. We do all the food here. So when there's a private event, you know that all is all factored in. We have it all line item detailed out. And so they send it over. They say, this is the numbers that we got. Here's the records from our POS. Here's all the information. Does it ma- look up? Ma- does it match? Yep, matches the same as that we would have um, and what we would expect. And then they cut us a check and we cash a check. Cool. Um, what else do I have in terms of questions? Um, oh, we got to talk about profit first. Oh, hey. Yeah, we're going to give. Um, so I, when I talked to Matt, he said, I'm trying to get my brother and my cousins and my sister on board with this profit first thing. Yeah. They're not doing it yet. So how long have you been working with Spark and Casey Anton? Yeah, so first? we're working with Spark. We're working with Casey. We've been talking with Casey since October. Yeah. Um, Casey is also my business advisor. Cool. So she doesn't know the world of podcasting so much, but she, she does my, my books, basically. Okay. Which is, I should not touch numbers. I break them. Yeah. I don't know. They're pretty. That, listen, you <laughs> hire the professional, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what we talk about. So she she's phenomenal. Her team's phenomenal to work with. Um, so we've been working with Casey. We've been talking with Casey since October and her team. We've been talking to her a little longer than that because of my brother. We've seen all the success that he's had with Profit First. And I'm talking like real success. Uh, it's an amazing way to run a business. And we committed. We're buying this catering company. We're taking our we're leaving Lombardo's. We're going to this new. We're going to create this new business. The three of us are the owners, and we want to do it the way that Matthew's doing it with Profit First. We saw his success. We see the ease of it. We see what Casey brings to the table, and we said, "Let's get her on board to get the system up and running." And so we've only owned this business for three weeks. Um, owned the catering aspect of the business, and with that. You know, we're transitioning Bardo's over. So all the way we're going to run our business will be profit first, but it's just in the infant stages of all yeah, the bank accounts are set up. Like all that stuff's good, but like the, the real lessons in her doing the financial analysis and like all the nitty gritty work is still like, we're st- still getting it's in too, the door. Yeah, it's still moving to, to, to tell. Exactly but, we're, but, but we're committed. And that's what's great. It's but, like, we know that we've read the book. We've read... We've read Profit First. We read Profit First at restaurants. Yeah, like, a little shout out to Casey. Committed, so that's a and so we're excited. The the branding of Profit First started with Mike McCallowitz. Yep. Uh, Mike McCallowitz is a, a business consultant, coach, personality. Yeah. I don't know what we'd call him. Yeah. School of thought. Yeah. He's author. A, yeah. Clockwork. Profit Clockwork First. Sick too. Yeah. Have you read that um, one? The, um, I haven't. Okay. But I'm assuming it's very similar to like Traction and Yeah. Know, I'm sure. You start reading the book, these different books, and they're just like the same books, and with like they just call things different. Yeah. And it's, starts to get kind of confusing you start to try to quote people and you're like which one, which was, one that? was that yeah I, I should definitely read that i think it's queued up in my audio um my audible queue but um so so yeah so 
Mike Michalowicz is behind Profit First. Um, Profit First has Profit First professionals, which basically get the blessing to teach Profit First knowledge. And yep. Casey Anton is a Profit First professional certified. And she works with so many restaurants, and she's like, it's not quite the same for restaurants because there's other things like meals, t- like sales tax or meals uh, tax. Uh, employees, um, I think, have their own um, checking account. Yep. So what is your understanding? Paint, paint the big picture. I'll let you do the talking. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, you know what Profit First is. Yeah. It's talked about all the time. Yeah. I listen to this podcast. Yeah. I, I know. I, I've heard it through here. Um, I've seen it firsthand with my brother. Um, but essentially, in a nutshell, it is just taking that net profit loss line from the bottom of a traditional P&L and moving it all the way up to the top. And so you've got your sales and then you're taking your profit. And what essentially that does is it 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 takes the money out right away that you want to be making, be it 10%, 5%, 10%, 50%, whatever number you want to put in there. And it decreases the amount of money you have left to operate your business. So essentially you're just running a leaner, meaner fighting machine and you're eliminating all i mean you're not eliminating really anything you're just reallocating that money right off the bat to your profit paying paying yourself paying your profit line and then you've got an operating uh your all your operating expenses are now operating on less so it just teaches you to be more efficient yeah and um, are you using a high yield savings account for your profit yeah yeah yep. so you have a you typically keep your profit account separate so it's out of sight, out of mind. Yep. And that's that's money to pay off debt and to buy assets. And that's the only time you ever touch your profit account, according yep. to Profit First. And then all your other bank accounts, you have really like buckets for your bank yeah. accounts, which is the coolest. It's the envelope cool system part. using checking point, uh, checking accounts. Exactly. Uh, so you guys have profit. You have owner's pay. Yep. You have tax. You have OPEX. OPEX yep. And your income, income, which is a, another – which is basically where you just – Everything kind of comes yeah, in income. All the cash flow in and goes to income, and then you twice a month reallocate cash flow to those yeah. checking accounts. What do you guys so you guys are doing owner's pay? Yeah. So you have, do you mind me asking what your target is for profit? So our target is probably going to be 15% would okay. be our, is our, is our goal. I think we'll start at 10. What, do you, just what percentage are you going to do with owner's pay? Um, that I don't know yet. Yeah. And that's like yeah. a paycheck that you're cutting yourself yeah. on top of profit. I think we're going to be, we're not going to be paying ourselves a lot to start. Well, that's usually we like want to you, keep it locked. Yeah, you, you keep the profit set, and the owner's yeah. pay is the variables, right? As yeah. cash flow increases, if you have, if your if your opex is flowing and you don't, you have more money in there than you need, then that's when you can start to play with the percentages to allocate cash in different places. Yeah. and yeah. you know, what's great is like you you have your owner's pay. It's gonna be it's gonna be whatever it is, yeah. right? And then you have your distributions. And so if you're profitable and you're doing well, you know you're getting a different uh, stream of income coming through your distributions throughout the year. Right. Um, so we're excited to really get into yeah. it. I wish that we were into it more for this conversation. It's just a matter of time, but it's coming. And yeah, it's we'll gonna come be back sick in a couple of years when you got when locations, chat. Bardos all over the place. Yeah, that's um, the goal. Yeah, man, I can't wait to pick up the conversation. So, I guess, what are you most excited about when it, in terms of profit? First, like, what is it aside from the profit? Um, I'm most excited for. I just want to see all the fat burn off. Yeah. Right. Like. It's just I know, I know we're carrying weight. We're carrying extra weight. Um, I don't know all the areas it is, 
but be it payroll, be it some expenses, be it whatever it may be, I know it's there. Yeah. And I want to see it drop. And yeah. so I'm excited for that trimming of the fat, you know, yeah. like, oh, it's New Year's Eve and you're New Year's Day and you got your resolution to like work out and you're going to do awesome. And, you know, this is the opportunity to really put it to the test and Casey's going to be that trainer to Which get us great. in really good shape. Yeah. And we're excited to see that be sustainable. I will say just to add on before we move on, I can't believe it's two hours and 17 minutes. We've been oh, we're cranking. Dude, it goes by so fast. Let's get man. to three. Come uh, on. <laughs> I have a meeting at 4.30 or oh, I totally okay. do it. Feed you. Um, all right. I know. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, what Where Profit First saved me in my business was with taxes. Okay. Um, yeah. So when you're a small company and like you need every penny that comes in that door to survive, sometimes it's easy to like be like... You know, like I know I need to put money aside for taxes, but I'll just I'll do that next month. I'll make up for it. And before you know it, you're tax season comes around, and you're like, I don't have the money to pay my taxes. Yeah. And then you have to get on a repayment plan. And then there's a pandemic, and or something happens, and you can't make your payments on your taxes. Like, you don't want to get there. Take it from me. Like I got out of that situation sure. because you know, like I started small, and like I wasn't making a lot of money, and everything that I made with school loans went to paying my bills. But as the cash flow increased. I was able to get out of that hole and it's 100% because of profit first because I had my profit account that was paying off my debt. So as money was coming in, I was putting away 10% and as that money came in, I, I paid, I used to pay off my back owed taxes, right? Yeah. Or if I got tax returns or whatever, any excess cash went towards debt. But going forward, I put 15% of every penny, every dollar I made into a tax account. And what ends up happening is it's out of sight, out of mind. That's not my money. Yeah. And then you start just looking at what you have to work with your operational account, and you're like, that's how much money I have. Yeah. That is the that's real huge. representation of how much money I have. Yeah. And just, just taking the money as it's coming in and putting it to where it belongs so you don't touch it is just such a simple way to make sure you don't screw yourself over. So we talked about my father being super meticulous, yeah. right, with the way he keeps track of everything. And he's a he's a penny counter, like, there's no funny business at our business, like every single penny is yeah. accounted for. And he's been awesome at the tax piece and where money needs to be allocated. And so my sister, who's been working with him for a decade now on the old way, and now she's our CFO and is going to be running, she's going to be doing all of our financials and all that stuff. So she's going to work hand in hand with Casey, but Casey's not going to do that because we have someone on our team who's capable of that, which is super helpful um, on our end. Like, the tax piece, the where every dollar gets allocated, like we feel really strong that that's going to be a strength of yeah. what we're doing and something yeah. we're coming into to say, okay. You're far more established there than I was. On that end, yeah, <laughs> which is exciting. But like yeah. the tax piece is, that's a really good point. Like yeah. if it's out of sight, it's out if of mind. If you're starting as a pop-up and you don't have those players in place yet, you don't have yeah. the money for an accountant or even somebody, a bookkeeper, and you're protecting yourself from yourself at that point. Yeah. You're just like, if you don't know, if you don't have cash flow management, skills this is the dumbest proof way of protecting yourself yeah um anyway and i hand that book to everybody it's great it's yeah. gold um and make sure you get the copy of profit first for, for restaurants. restaurants that's yeah. the one uh all right cool dude this has been a lot of fun uh we gotta start thinking about wrapping up before i ask you some key questions is there anything we did not discuss so you got your notepad back. oh yeah i don't even know it. i can barely <laughs> even read my own writing is there anything that um, you're hoping we would discuss that we did not get around to today no but you know some things i wrote down uh quality of service and quality of detail are one and the same so like i think that's where 
that's where I see the biggest growth for off the vine on the catering end. It's like, how do we take the quality of service? How do we keep the quality of detail? And we elevate it from a company that may not hit those marks all the way. How can we bring what we do really well into that mix and say, if we're going to elevate our service, we're going to elevate our detail, they're going to they're gonna make us more successful. Um, how do you standardize that once you've elevated it? SOPs, just literally write it down, take pictures like buffets, right? Yep. Like you got a food buffet. What, what pieces are we going to use? What's the style we're going to go with? Set it all up, take a picture of it, put it on a piece of paper, and write, this is a buffet and how it needs to be set up. And now it's standardized and everybody, yeah. when they show up on an event, are going to do it the same way. Right. And we create that consistency. And then when you have to correct somebody, you go back and you, and you say, instead of correcting them, yeah. you go, that's what it looks like now. This is the reference. You tell me is what you did this. Yeah. And you're no longer correcting the person, you're correcting the process. And yeah, it doesn't you, come personal. Yeah, you go, oh, that's, that's what I'm supposed Oh, thank you. And thank also, you for like, showing me the way. Is there a reason you did it that way? And if so, tell me what it was because maybe it's a good exactly. idea or maybe it was just a bad decision. But like maybe you have a better way of doing it and you presented it that way and you've got a reason. And if that's the case, come do that not live in an event. Yeah. But do it in, another, in the right form. Yeah. And if it is better, time to update the process. Yeah, and update you know? the process. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think ahead. that, I think that's the thing. Um, and then like we fail all the time and like, there's always things that we struggle with. There's always areas where we could have done better. And I think like failure is the best professor. Like it teaches you so much about your business. It teaches you so much about relationships. Like when things don't go well to be able to take a step back and be like, where do we, where do we falter? Where can we be better and make those improvements? Like you all, I mean, it's, it, everyone always says it, but like when you fail is when you learn. And, and so we, we, we look to recognize where the failures happen on every event so we can learn from them for the next one. And we yep. talk about them. Yep. Man, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I do have my questions that we got to ask before we can officially wrap up. So what is one thing about your business, your values, your systems that's truly unstoppable? Our people. It's, our people are unstoppable. They just care and they make a difference and they make us successful, but they take care of the guests who walk in the door and our people are, are unstoppable. Yeah. And this came out earlier in the conversation, so I'll just paraphrase yeah. it. And I'm assuming it's because of the level of focus you put on taking care of them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, the mission statement is to change the world. How audacious am I? By inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry. So how have you personally transformed? If we're going to transform the industry by changing one person at a time, how have you changed in your time in this industry? Um, I have changed in that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not everywhere and everything to everyone. I am, and I continue to change on this level, but to identify the things that I'm really good at and try to stay in that lane. And I don't need to be the chef. I don't need to make all the decisions. I don't need to do the finances. Like, I just want to take care of people. And yeah. if I can change and just be, like, really good at taking care of people and creating that vision, like, that, that'll, that'll help change everything. I love it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, man. Um, 
I should have read all these before, so I had better answers or maybe <laughs> things. Um, I'll help you. Out. Fa- family, family is everything. One. Um, I think mantra wise, I'd go with consistency builds credibility. Two. Um, positive vibes only. Three. Yeah. David, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. Did I call you Matt at any point today? I was, no, I was we talked about Matt. You did great. I know. Yeah. I was worried I was going to yeah. call you Matt accidentally. Yeah, but, no. But it didn't happen. That's pretty impressive. Um, so this is when I asked, man, um, who do you respect and admire? And uh, your brother called you out. Yeah. Who is somebody who's just killing it in this industry, who's a wealth of knowledge, who's doing it right, who if I were to interview, you're like, I want to hear what they have to say. I think that if I can connect you with some of the people who have been my mentors would be huge. So be it Victor Hannon from he, he's a managing partner at Texas Roadhouse, which is a huge company. Nice. Um, I think at a 400 stores, he's number 22. Jesus. And it's I'd right love, here in, yeah. in Everett. Um, connecting you with someone like Rich Vellante from Legal Seafoods um, would be phenomenal. Awesome. And honestly, like Adam Romano, who owns this brewery. Like he's a badass dude who uh, was in consulting and decided I, I want to follow my passion. And brewery isn't necessarily a restaurant, but uh, he's got a really cool story and he's a super smart intellectual it's food guy. Beverage, man, it's food it, and it's beverage. Taking, it's feeding and in, in providing drink. You know, it's yeah. hospitality. Yeah, for and sure. He's he is uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. He'd nice. be an awesome resource too. Beautiful. Uh, so that's Rich Victor and Adam. Yeah, Rich Victor and Adam. Look Call out. them all out. See you later, Gents. boys. Good yeah. luck. Keeping me busy before yeah. I hit and the you, road. And you, man. I mean, I got to tell you, um, you've been an inspiration for Thank me. You. I've been listening to your podcast um, mostly since my brother went on it. That's when I really learned, which wasn't too long ago. But I've been ripping through episodes. It's that and a golf podcast. The only two things I listen in the car. <laughs> Thank um, you for your support, man. And you're making some awesome waves. You're giving a lot of people some awesome education and um, it's just been great. So kudos to you, man. You're going to keep crushing. Thank you. Be honest with me. Are the episodes too long? Um, <laughs> tell me the truth. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think they're too long at all. I think they're perfect. I think that if I was to give you any feedback give on episodes, oh, shit, oh, um, is like this conversation, like we just shot the shit and talked, which was awesome. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's even feedback. Like, I don't know if it needs more structure. You know, I, I hear that, and I, I do want to bring back structure. And you have a couple back. things that, you know, you ask the thing in the beginning, you ask the thing at the end, and the middle is just kind of a flowing conversation, which is pretty nice so, from uh, a consumer. Like, from a consumer, it's nice, but maybe some more structure on... You're going to get straight into the mind of Eric Hatchatoria, yeah, and I'm going to answer, because I'm sure you're not alone with that sentiment, so I'm happy that you're bringing this up. And it's an opportunity for me to pitch the future of Restaurant Unstoppable. Cool. So I used to do workshops, lectures, where we do, like, this is what we're talking about today, one hour, this topic, step by yeah. step. I want to bring those back really bad. Um, the challenge is that around the time I got away from those workshops and lectures, I committed to 100% in-person on-site interviews. Yeah. And being able to go to the experts um, and prioritize, like, I want that to kind of be what's steering the ship as to why I'm going to certain region. Regions who are the, who are the people that are being referred to us organically on the show, the, the you know the Gino Wickmans of the world, the the Casey Antons of the world, the the people who are experts at what they do. I want to start going after those people and collaborating with those people. Uh, and then when I'm in the area, when I when I'm in my RV, my camper, or whatever, yeah. I'm hanging out wherever they're based, and I'm also getting twenty restaurant tour interviews while I'm there. Sure. So I want the the underlying lessons that we're learning, uh, as in like what are the the like the, the the big rocks that we're picking up on organically through like, you know, if I love comparing myself to Indiana Jones, 
who, yeah. who doesn't? Yeah, maybe. right. So if I'm an archaeologist and I'm going out into the world, into the, these different these these places, and I'm turning over rocks and digging holes, trying to look for clues, arc, you know, artifacts of what does it take to be successful in the restaurant industry. We're going to find those clues and we're going to, we're going to bring them back to the community. We're going to dissect them together and go deeper and host these live events. And I'm going to find these people and being mobile and committing myself 100% to the road is going to help us get back to that. Sure. Yeah. So thank you for calling that out. Cause I agree with you 100%. And I think I am like two weeks away from getting there. All right. So Sick. following my taxes tomorrow, I'll have new income on the record. There we are. And I am hoping I also brought my, my credit score up 35 points to a 735. Oh, man, I'm bragging now. Okay. I know it's not excellent credit, but it's still solid. Good. It's getting there. So we are rolling the dice this week and we're, we're hopefully going to be in my new mobile situation. I and, love uh, it. It's going to be fucking fire. Dude. So your last name's Cacciatore. Yeah. Is that your favorite chicken dish? I don't like it at all. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, true. like, we should do a, uh, an, an Eric Chicken Cacciatore Bardo's Pizza uh, feature, but if you don't like it, it's we should it's probably scat, It's just not the best, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's just, it's a very basic rustic, rustic dish that, true. you know, I don't know. I don't go crazy with Cacciatore. Yeah. Anyway. Chicken cutlet's coming right up, though. Let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to destroy that. So before we say goodbye, i got to ask you to share your information. If we want, if we were inspired by your story, if we're vibing with you, maybe we're in the Boston area and we want to come join your team, you're a young company, room for growth, what's the best way to connect? Uh, David at offthevinecatering.com. You can find our business at offthevinecatering on Instagram, Lombardo's Hospitality Group on Instagram, Bardo's Bar Pizza at Instagram. Um, we don't really gravitate yeah. much further off of Instagram. It's pretty easy yeah. there. And the website, uh, Bardo's Bar Pizza, Lombardo's Hospitality Group.com. By the time this My episode cell phone, is... phone, 508-930-2228. Whatever else you want to know, let's go. <laughs> this is episode 1060. We'll link to all those ways to connect with David over there. And by the time this episode is live, our community will be relaunched. So we had Restaurant Stoppable Network where we're on the Money Networks platform. Okay. We chose to get away from the Money Networks platform and go back to Facebook. So our community is going to be hosted on Facebook. So search Restaurant Stoppable Owners and Operators if you're not in our Facebook group already. Uh, we're going to invite you to go live with us yeah, can't and do a, do a Q&A. So that will be in a couple months Let's from when it. this goes live. So um, yeah, cool things happening at Restaurant Stoppable. So if you have questions about what? We, we mentioned Profit First. We mentioned Toast. We mentioned uh, Partnerships. We mentioned uh, Triple Seat. You're using and, and Caterers. Caterers, taking care of people. Just general questions just about catering. Pizza, like, yeah. Just call us. Dave's your guy. He'll be able to answer your questions. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned for when that gets scheduled. We'll let you know in the closing thoughts. And that was when I say, my man, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Let's go. Cheers. I love it. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, David Lombardo, for coming on, getting open, getting vulnerable, and sharing some great knowledge. And I feel like the industry is taking a turn. I don't know if I would have gotten the same level of generosity and vulnerability that I'm giving today 10 years ago. I have to be honest. I don't know what's going on, but I think this, this mission and I don't, I'm not saying that we're solely responsible for it, but we're this this idea of in, inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry is cha- is taking form before our eyes. And uh, man, I'm super psyched! So, um, great stuff happening at Restaurant Unstoppable. I, I want to keep you guys up to date with what's going on behind the scenes. So you might have noticed we've only been publishing one episode a week since the beginning of the new year. 
And what we're doing is we're putting a lot of energy into relaunching restaurantstoppable.com. Uh, we are getting help to rebrand and to put better systems in place and to take what we've been doing over the past 10 years and just 10 exit really is what we're trying to do. And we're, we, you got to build the house before you move into it. And that's kind of where we're at right now is building the house. Also, uh, on the uh, travel front in, in preparing for the new normal of, of uh, how I want to exist on the road, uh, some good news, some big news. I have a new truck. So I am the proud owner of a Chevy uh, three-quarter ton truck. T- uh, 2500 HD could not be more psyched. So we're halfway there. Uh, and I am in the process of getting the funding for the camper right now. So on my own, I am only $10,000 away. I was able to raise $40,000. Um, I'm waiting to hear back from the bank this week, but we are $10,000 away from having what we need to get in the camper. So hopefully by the end of this month, the latest I will be on the road, living my new lifestyle letting the story the 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 research the the conversations and the industry really steer the ship of restaurant unstoppable so i couldn't be more excited about that and i just want to say a special thanks to everybody who's made this possible the people who've been working with me uh specifically jared parisi we've been working together for almost i want to say like seven or six years now don't know where i'd be without you man thank you so much and super psyched to have callan miola on board as our community manager she is crushing it the future is bright here at restaurant unstoppable and we can't wait to march forward with you that's it for today until next time peace out